Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. It is a September 9th, 2017 edition. Joining me today are my two special guests. I first got Adam Vitali. Hey. Yes, and we've got Josh Torres. <laughs> Adam, weren't you supposed to be here like last week for this? I was supposed to be. <laughs> you want to tell I, us what I happened? Saw, uh-huh. I, I had a bottle of wine uh-huh. and I had no one to share it with uh-huh. and I was bored. What kind of wine <laughs> yeah. did you have? Uh, a Riesling. Okay, all right. It's a white wine that's very easy to drink. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, things happened. <laughs> I was fully planning on joining our podcast last week, and then somehow I uh, passed out. <laughs> that so, was the fun. Right it was the funniest experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> uh, yeah. So apparently, okay. So I went to the call with James and Zach already there, and then you were there, but like you're like yeah, he's not answering. Like what happened to him? Like no, he oh. said hello to me. Oh, yeah, he, he, said, like, he picked but, up the call. And he's like hello, and it was like this normal like uh, cadence and everything like mm-hmm, that. And then yeah. just like a couple minutes later, I'm like, hey, Adam. Adam. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. Okay. That was before I entered the call. So I, I asked, I was like, "What's going on?" You know, and then we, we joked. I was like, "No, no way." He passed out before, like, right before the podcast starts. Right? Did you fall asleep at your desk, or did you like walk to your bed or something like that and just pass out right there? Um. So I was actually just kind of on the floor, like. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm literally sitting like cross-legged uh-huh. on the floor with my laptop in front of me. Um. I find that I actually my my make less noise when my laptop's on the carpet than mm-hmm. if it's on my face. desk. Yeah, makes sense. So, and then I just kind of like fell asleep on the floor right there, <laughs> just so, yeah. laid on your side. Oh, okay, man. There you go. Reminds me of like my mom. She can fall asleep cross-legged. She just like puts her head forward, like it's like a yoga <laughs> position, and just falls asleep immediately. And we're always she always wakes up in a weird position like that. And so, that's impressive. Um, but. That's the thing is that you haven't been on the podcast for a few weeks, and so it was like yet another week where we couldn't yeah. have you on. I think, yeah, because the two weekends before that, I had company over, and basically, you know, they're, they're, they came here, they drove 20 hours to visit me, so it's not like I could be like, oh, sorry, guys, I have to go away for Instead, you should now. have had them on yeah. the podcast instead. Oh, I don't know. A Beatly cast. There you we go. could just talk about Iowa stuff, because Adam's also from Iowa, like I am, so <laughs> just talk stuff. about... Apparently there's a football game today and they did very well and it got very close. So, but that's all I know about. Yeah, that, the Iowa Iowa State game. Yeah, Brian was talking. That's the rivalry that only yes. Iowans care about. <laughs> oh, I didn't I'm know that you guys had like in-state rivalry. You know that. We definitely. I mean, that's like any state, really. You know, of course they've got in-state Michigan and Michigan State and all that. Like, I'm from Northern Iowa, so I have no like sort of. Uh, interest in either of those uh, teams, and so uh, can't really work. You that and I, Panthers. Yes. Kurt Warner. Oh yeah, Kurt yep. Warner, of course, former uh, Northern Iowa football quarterback. So we've got that history with us. But of course, the Iowa State teams are like immediately better than the Panthers have ever been. So you know, and at least for the most part, is he like he's like that the, like the most prominent figure in that state? Much like how like Manny Pacquiao became like the face of the Philippines for a bit. Uh, not really, because <laughs> obviously with Kurt Warner, he's been with other teams, and so like it's more like his NFL history well, with like, I mean, the Rams. In terms of like people like popular famous people who are from iowa kurt warner is probably one of the most well-known well we've also got ashton kutcher and you know what uh, <laughs> like what let me think I'm, I'm blanking elijah wood 
It's from well, Iowa. Okay. Right. Seth Rollins, wrestler. It's from Davenport, right. Iowa. So we've got and Slipknot. <laughs> so we've got we've got some other figures that we could brag about, I guess, in a sense. So uh, uh, it's in like um, was it John Wayne? I think is also from Iowa too. So we've oh, got okay. yeah, we've got Fair. we've got our that's a that's here. a pretty decent lineup. Absolutely. So enough bragging about Iowa. Now that I'm in California, I can't really hold close to those figures. I mean, I haven't lived in Iowa for at least yeah. for six years. So. We're banned in Iowa, exactly. And now you're in uh, Washington, and I'm yep. in California. Brian, who's also, of course, he's your twin, so he's in uh, New Mexico. So, although oh, he wants, over the place. yeah, that's we West Coast. We got gotta, almost got it all covered. We just need someone in Oregon. We try to get as far away from the hurricane areas as possible. Is what we're kind of saying. Because uh, right yeah, now, away from the hurricane that, and into the brush fires and smoke. Yeah. Are you guys You're getting closest. any smoke? Uh, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's all over the country at this point because uh, north, yeah. uh, north in Los Angeles County is where a lot of the wildfires were, like near um, what's it? I feel, it's it's like it's in the mountains to the north, uh, of the northern Southern California, <laughs> I guess in a sense. It's spread across, but it's like it's mostly contained at this point. But it's way worse in Montana and Oregon, uh, of course. Yeah. You're in Washington, so I'm sure. Well, you I'm got, at the very uh, south end of Washington, so we got a lot of the. We had smoke uh, basically uh, uh, all of last week. Yeah. Yeah. Did and, you see that? I'm sorry. Did you see that picture that came out? Uh, it was like a viral photo about. A bunch of people at a golf course. Oh and, yeah, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and behind them, there's like a huge uh, wildfire raging behind them, and that was real. Everyone, everyone thought it was photoshopped because, like, why would you be golfing in the midst of all this happening? It's like, no, that, that's actually true. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like that weird entitlement thing. Like, we're not gonna let anything get in the way of our golfing. <laughs> so, they made for like a crazy photograph, though. So, <laughs> still. I mean, I, recommend people looking looking for that because it's an incredible shot that someone took, but. I know, and and there was like this really uh, dark uh, joke someone made is that you know, in 2016 everyone thought that was really bad, and then in 2017 people were hoping that the hurricanes can wash away the wildfires, because <laughs> that's how it's been at this point, like how bad this year has been for a lot of things. So uh, I can only hope. I mean, we always wish the uh, the best for the people that yeah, are in Florida. Yeah, everyone here on the Tetracast and everyone at the site, of course. Like, if you're in the hurricane areas, if you're affected, you know, our hearts out to you, and you know, stay safe. You know, always give us updates if you're out there. Be smart. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we've got a we've got yeah. a couple staff members, Elizabeth and Natalie, yep. that are in Florida, Florida right now, Definitely. and we all got friends that live there too. Yeah. So, so we're making all sure that you know they they give us updates. You know how are you guys doing? You know if you need help and whatnot. And also, like, you know, it's kind of a weird situation, too, because I have several friends, you know, who are in Florida as well. One of them yeah. evacuated uh, towards uh, Tennessee for work. And, like, it's going to be weird because we don't know if the, like, in about two weeks, I'm going to be traveling out to Orlando there uh, for uh, an event called CEO Taku, which is a fighting game yeah. tournament. And that's, like, kind of, like, tentative right now. We don't know if it's actually going to be postponed or canceled or not at the moment because it's an... Things are wild at the moment. Yeah, they're saying like they're going to open it. The borders back up around Tuesday, but we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Like Harvey, of course, just hit, and my yeah. aunt's from the, from Texas. Like she was actually evacuated by kayak, <laughs> so mm. it's definitely uh, that type of experience. And uh, you know, Irma, which is of course what's hitting right now as of today, uh, that hasn't yet to really you know hit Florida so much. I mean, it's definitely they're feeling the effects right now, but like it's not like the eye hasn't passed over quite yet. So the fact that it's like it strengthened up to a category five once again, uh, after being from a five to a four, then back to a five as it is. It's very scary to think about being anywhere near there. And Adam, you were in Georgia, of course, until recently. So that's, uh, you luckily didn't have to deal with any more hurricanes, but now you're in, as you said, the midst of wildfires and the threat of like 
earthquakes and stuff like that. Now everyone, since the earthquake happened in Mexico, the 8.2 a magnitude, they're like, all right, when's San Andreas Fault going to get uh, utterly up over, uh, up, up uh, um, completely uh, uh, set off, and then you know the rest of Southern California, like just yeah, like, 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 yeah, so, yeah. So SoCal always has this one thing of like, like th- things can get bad over here, but it's like we're always we like for that big earthquake. It's gonna hit inevitably, inevitably, but we just don't know when. We've got like it's either earthquakes or uh, mudslides or wildfires. Or it, it was weird. Like yesterday, like there, there was like an Amber Alert that set off uh, several phones at work, and then there were yes. morning like dust storms. That. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I never got that. Okay. I've never experienced a dust storm, a mudslide, or an earthquake yet, but I'm waiting for it. I've yet to even see in person a wildfire in my life. So a lot of firsts going to be happening. I only moved to California about uh, 18 months ago, so we'll see how things happen from here. Uh, But with that being said, let's just go ahead and get into Mm -hmm. the podcast proper. Uh, There isn't a whole lot to talk about in terms of news, and so we wanted to kind of just, you know, take some time to relax for a bit. But now let's get into, first off, what we've been playing. So, Adam, uh, as we just talked about, you haven't been here for a while, uh, but you've been keeping yourself busy with some other games. Uh, I don't, you don't really have anything up for review right now, right? Is that why? Well, no, I reviewed Mm -hmm. E7. And yes, yes. I mentioned it briefly um, when, like three weeks ago or four weeks ago, whenever I was last on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that time. Um, and, I mean, I think E7 is a pretty, like, it's a good game, but there's just some parts to it that I just think are really disappointing. And I'll mm-hmm. just list two things. But when you said specific. that, by the way, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Um, firstly, this is the first east game that really put more focus on like characters and story um all the games before this which were like well east origin had some i guess yeah but like but not as much as this like east origin uh uh, arc of napishtim and uh oath and falgana those games all had um especially the the um, the latter two they had relatively lean kind of concise storylines they were pretty simple just kind of like a, a, a pretty basic premise and like they were okay, an excuse for adults to go out and go yeah um but they were like still compelling enough um like like chester is a pretty cool character in oath and falgana and his sister who unfortunately his name her name i forget um like there's this um drama there that it's not like in your face but i think it's like it it's it's present enough and it works and it's it's effective enough but then, like, East 7, which originally released, like, in 2008 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is it that old? Or is uh, it... I, I want to say be older than that. 7. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, it, it puts a lot... There's a lot more dialogue, a lot more characters talking, and um, a lot more emphasis on the storyline and things like that. And it just feels so darn generic. It's, like, the story plot line is basically collect five MacGuffins, do all that again literally and then like it kind of just culminates in a very typical like jrpg ass jrpg story and it's just there's so much talking and like everyone's saying but is talking but they're not saying anything and just kind Mm -hmm. of like it's just so disappointing that you just like have to click through it all you know it's just it's just it's not compelling it's not interesting 2009 for the release here by the way my bad okay so that was one year off i said Mm -hmm. 2008 um and then it's not as bad as Salsetta. Salsetta, just let me tell you. Oh, I, uh, I dislike the Salsetta so much. <laughs> Salsetta has this annoying 
um, element to it. <laughs> it has this annoying element to it when you're in certain cities. You have to like talk to certain NPCs to move the story along, and sometimes you don't know who you have to talk to. So what you end up doing is going to have to end up talking to everybody. Um, and that's sometimes annoying. At least Seven doesn't have that. Um, so anyways, like I said in my review, like E7 has really nothing to offer in terms of the storyline stuff. And it's just mm. kind of a bunch of, it's in the way, really. Um, and then the combat is decent, but the game adds a dash feature to it where you basically can jump, you know, quickly from left to right. And you can do this, well, ultimately you're going to end up doing this basically 95% of the time you're playing the game is you're dashing, you know, all over the place. And I just think that alone makes the game almost too simple because you just kind of like dash in, get some hit, hits off on your enemy, dash out, dash in, do it again, dash out. And it just, it feels like there's a little bit less um, focus on like pattern memorization or dodging attacks. Yeah, or yeah like ultimately that. you're just going to be spamming like flashguarding at the end of it. Yeah, too. and flashguard too is very mm-hmm. easy to pull off. Like I, I remember like some bosses in, in uh, the... The three PC games, uh, or I guess they're all PC games now, but Arkanephishtim, Oath and Felgana, and Origin, like a lot of those bosses have like these really elaborate patterns and things like that in terms of like how, how you avoid damage. And this is crucial um, to basically surpassing some of these tough bosses. And E7 has a little bit of that, but I, I feel like this kind of this dashing mechanic just kind of it dilutes it a little bit. So I do think it's a decent game. It's just kind of. It's just I, I I said in my review it's disappointing. It's it's good but not as good as I would want it to be. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I will say let me stop yeah, being but... negative for a bit. The music is like absolutely fantastic. I like that whole soundtrack from area themes to the boss battle themes to the city themes and um, the emotional themes even in the story I was just criticizing. Like all the music is really well done and I know Falcom usually is, you know, this is something they are usually pretty consistent at and pretty you know, they're almost all their games have great soundtracks but i think e7 is even like one of their best mm-hmm. so I agree, I agree with that I, I think that the especially like in terms of like east openings i think the top three e7s are like opening movies like somewhere around there it's just really really like energetic pumped yeah. up um <laughs> I, I think my issue with like e7 was you it started like getting to that party mechanic uh, that the E series is like kind of going full force in now, and there's just like a lot of filler characters in that cast that like I don't really give two shits about. I like stuck nope. to like my main like Adol and like two others. I haven't forgotten who my two others were because uh, like Dogi is it's it's cool. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, but it's, it, it. that it is nice that like Dogi, who's been in you know most all of the games, um, like he actually probably has the most like lines in this game. Because, yeah, of course Adol doesn't talk, so Dogi kind of has to talk for him. Um, <laughs> It's kind of nice that he is like a very present and prevalent character there, um, but like Elk and Misha and I just played this game. I don't even remember what the guy from the Fire Temple's name is. Oh shit! Fire... Yeah. Fire... Oh Mustafa. Uh, there yeah. you go. Uh-huh. And it's just like those three characters are just kind of nothings. <laughs> so yeah. And then there's the character Aisha, who is uh, um, not a terrible character, I would say, but like is very, very rote and done before and kind of falls into a trope very nicely. So it's, like, not super interesting. So, but E7 was... It was okay for its time yeah, on the PSP. Yeah, I, I but... do think it's a pretty good game. It's just... it's. I think it's disappointing relative to the others. Uh-huh. 
So yeah. I'm really interested to try out East Eight. Uh, I'm assuming you probably talked about that on the previous podcast. Yeah, but it was wow. mostly like like uh, like localization and story. I didn't get to talk too much about the gameplay there. And I think uh, like in terms of like from East Seven to East Eight, I think you really like the tempo of the gameplay a lot more because like the just just little things like the camera change instead of like an isometric view uh, to to a more standard third person view. It like it feels a lot better in that, especially when you have like a bigger screen to work with, obviously. Yeah, uh, and it's a bigger like, story focus too, which yeah. is important to point in that game. Yeah. And and the, I I think that might be like your big irk about it, uh, Seda, because it's very much you know yeah, the most like story. story. <laughs> it's the most storyline focused. Like, oh, I like yeah. stories. He it's likes the yeah. Uh, you lie. every time we talk about story, you're like I don't care. <laughs> I, I will say that it's not a requisite for me to enjoy a game. Like some of my yeah. favorite games, like The Last Remnant, have like garbage shit stories, and it <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> because I just if if the gameplay and the progression systems and things like that like if they hook me then the story can be whatever it wants I don't care. Um, but, just, so, but it's not it's never the opposite, right? Where if the story is great yeah. and the gameplay is not that great, it doesn't like lift it up. It's, it's yeah, something it, that hurts it. I mean, a little bit, but it's just that's kind of I, I kind of lean towards that's the game mean, yeah. gameplay yeah. side. Like for example, Vagrant Story. I'm just not as big a fan of Vagrant Story as some other people are. I while like I do it. agree with most people that that story is great and that localization and that writing is really great, the gameplay is just so tedious to me, and that just kind of really brings it down. So, I totally I totally get that, actually. Right, that's a little I bit of an like how, Yeah, I, I didn't like how Vagrant Story, how it took place almost entirely underground. Like, I didn't like that because I usually enjoy having also the visuals to pair with the story and the gameplay. Like, I want to be able to, like be impressed by this, the place that I go to, but when it's all on the ground, like, you get used to, like, a certain look, and you're just kind of tired of it after a while, but they do play around a little bit with that, but it's usually just in terms of the gameplay, not so much about in trying to impress you. Like, I couldn't stick with it for too long. Maybe I should play it again, but, you know. Yeah, I definitely need, like, a compelling gameplay to get me through a game. It's it's tough for me to, like, you can have, like, a brilliant story and plot in a game, and that'd be cool, but... I, I need something to like be doing and have that thing be fun for me to actually get through. Unless it's like a visual novel, of course. Right. But, you know, I, I, I get it. And I guess... I mean, it's the... just everybody has different priorities and values and, mm-hmm. you know, like how they weigh different elements to games. Um, you know, like some people, like they'll always play games on easy because they're there to just experience the yeah. story and the and, and the characters and you know how it goes from start to finish and that's totally valid and fine. Yeah. I like to play games on the harder difficulties cuz even though that can be frustrating at times like I really appreciate that kind of sense that satisfaction of like overcoming something that's difficult even if it's a little bit even if it's maybe even more cheap cuz sometimes those difficulty settings uh are kind of artificial, you know, they just kind of make it cheaper <laughs> against you but you know, everyone has different values to how they, you know, what they're looking for, especially in an RPG where it's, there's so many different, you know, elements and components to these to these games. So, very complex. I, I will say that now that you got me thinking about it, it's like, my my one kind of inkling about East 8's uh, gameplay, like, I do like, you know, that the flash uh, flash guarding and flash dodging uh, is still uh, in there. And, like, you know, it's, it's, ba- it's balanced well in that respect. But there's a, I won't say which character, but there's a character in there that gains a skill that allows uh, them to kind of strike a pose and then like immediately counter uh, if they're hit. And this is and the window for it is quite forgiving. So a lot of like boss patterns that like you would have to think about, it can he can easily negate because he can do it like with any like sort of attack in the game that can just like he can counter and then he's invincible during that counter too when he pulls it off. 
So it's kind of like it, you. I'm sure it's more valuable like in harder difficulties, but like I wasn't like doing Inferno or anything or Nightmare in, in my run. Uh, but it's just one of those. It's like it's like this boss has like really cool patterns. But my strategy right now is like not getting hit, so it kind of and it does so much damage. So like you would say, well, it's like unbalanced. I I, or... I would say it was poorly thought out i guess in re- in retrospect of like of like when you're designing the, like the the skill set for this character it's like i get it it's a really cool thing and i like abusing it but you're making a lot of concessions to like to have it in this game it kind of, like of course you have the option to like not use it at all and just use any other character and like uh, use the other systems but for me it's just like it was fun enough to do it but it felt like it trivialized a lot of my encounters during it as well yeah i Sometimes you, especially in like a party system, sometimes you have those characters that are just like, like, I, I want to make another tangent, but I know I should probably stop doing this, but sometimes you just have those characters that are just, uh, you know, they have some ability that just kind of seems to trivialize like the actual gameplay systems put into place and it just kind of feels like, why is this so it, it's overpowered? Like a, yeah, it reminds me of like, like uh, it just, it kind of like just, you know, actually like it, works against the actual gameplay it reminds me of i am setsuna there's a, like there's like this one team attack in i am setsuna that i use for 80 like at least 85 to 90 percent of the game because it like killed like 98 percent of things when i was used it was it the x-ray kind of thing that they I, had yeah something like that i'm not sure exactly what it was the game that came to mind for me mm-hmm. was wild arms 4 oh, okay uh i don't know how many people have played this game but wild arms 4 mm-hmm. character raquel has this move that allows her to attack and it's it's like a grid based RPG, but she has a, she's the only character of four that can attack and move, like in one turn, mm-hmm. and like that alone like makes her like incredibly incredibly like ridiculously overpowered. Like, yeah, because because the whole game is balanced uh, of like like for certain restrictions, and that kind of, and once a character like breaches that like restriction, of course like you, nothing else can really keep up with the game's design on that. It's like like every single strategy for like every boss in that game is use her attack and move, you know, or mm-hmm. every single like final battle or whatever. It's just like yeah, use that yeah. move and you, that's, you know, <laughs> that even if you might have to like incorporate a few other things, it's like that's always going to be a part of your strategy because it's just so ridiculous. So that, that was the first thing that came to mind for me in terms of like an RPG that's just so unbalanced. It's, it's almost it's almost like baffling. Wild I mean, Arms 4 wasn't the one that had, like, the hexagon battles. It, it did. Yes. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, that it was, did. Okay. Five both had that. I, All right. I, I, that, was, that was a cool... I like that system, in fact, even if, like, some of the other... Five just kind games. of... Uh, I think Five is a much better game, and it kind of yes. ironed out some of those weird balance issues. So. I would say it's the best Wild Arms game, but that's me. I think Five is pretty good. I like Three more, but Five is probably number two. I'm trying we to think actually... it's number two, number three, but, yeah, Three is still my favorite as well. We were actually having this conversation like on our Discord channel. Uh, people were interested in trying out the fire, uh, the Front Mission series because Front Mission Three just had its birthday. Dang, so Front Mission is talking... good series. <laughs> Holy crap! The, the 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 so you can kind of break it down in terms of the series about how good it was. Front Mission One was pretty damn great. Front Mission Two is probably the best the series has been in terms of the story and the gameplay design. Three is probably the most accessible because it's casual in, in design it's pretty straightforward and so that's probably the best place to start for people weren't crazy about the voice yeah, acting because like it's like, it was like very uh European. that was the first one on ps2 so yes. it was it was an early ps2 game so that, along with all that tech it's 
Exactly. It had a cool story, but like some of the things that they tried tried out were they tried some new things and it wasn't that great. Uh, oh yeah, alternative is also pretty great. Um, Front Mission Five though, Scars of War, I think that's what it was called. Um, the sub sub name. It's actually the probably the best the series has ever been because uh, it's kind of like the pinnacle. It's like the most polished the, the series has ever been. But that one was never localized, so yep. <laughs> it's it's just crazy to see like the, uh, these two like long running series. Like Wild Arms Five is a great game. Front Mission Five was a great game. But like both those series like are kind of dormant now, except for Wild Arms going to come back as a mobile game. But there was that rumor that was spreading around not too long ago about possibly Front Mission coming back. So I wonder if like Front Mission came back once, just semi recently. Didn't like didn't they just in what was that? Oh no, Front Mission evolved. evolved. We don't talk about that shit because that was Double Helix. <laughs> they really fucked that up. I, I heard like from the story of, like Double Helix kind of just you know kind of crapped it out. They didn't really put much focus on it. It's oh just yeah, kind of it's, uh, I, I played that game. It's uh, it I still cry a little inside every time I think about it. Didn't like Front? Didn't Double Helix? Weren't they the ones that did that Silent Hill game Downpour? Or maybe I'm misremembering. Was, was it the Vita one you're talking about? Or no, no, that came out on Wii, I think, right? Silent Hill Homecoming. That was it. That was their oh, first okay. game. So this gives you an idea about what I was what I was talking about. And then they did, yeah, Front Mission Evolved. Uh, they still exist, and I just don't know why. Did the, so. wait, the Double Helix do kill the new Killer Instinct? No, uh, that was. Oh, that's uh, Iron Galaxy now. I yeah. think they were they were on the development like at they the started. Beginning. Yeah, they, yeah. They made it. That was like their weird. Yeah, they. That was like their big. The probably the the best thing they've ever done. Uh, but yeah, Iron Galaxy took over because Devil yeah. Helix moved on. I think That's they right. got bought by Amazon, is why, and so they were working under the game. So, yeah, I don't know. Man, I, that'd be really cool to see like a new front mission, like a like an actual, real one, not evolved. But exactly. See, and, seeing what that, that just from like I think uh, fuck, what was it called? Like this war mech. Or something like that. It's like an RTS and uh, dual gear or something like that. No, no, it's um, man, I forget the name off the top of my head. It's it's an early access right now. It was it had a Kickstarter. Sorry, it's like based on like a popular board game. Uh, oh, you're talking about the one that uh that the game that's being made from the guys who did the um Shadow Run. I think I think so. I, I I forget the name off the top. Of my head. I think it's like Warmech or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's like an RTS, Battle but has tech. like a battle tech. There we that go. Was, yep. And it's from the Shadowrun people. So yep. yeah, that's, and, and that, that's going for like a very sim, this closest you'll get to like a modern front mission because it has like uh, parts destruction in it. And, you know, every, every part of your mech counts in that because if like if you shoot off its weapons, it can no longer use that weapon, for example. So uh, I don't mean to go off on a huge mm -hmm. tangent about that, but I was curious what Adam's opinion were if, if Wild Arms, uh, the new mobile game that's coming out, is that something you actually are interested in? I'm not a really big fan on two things. On like, like a lot of mobile games are like kind of like, like crossover deals where it's like, more like uh, rather than being like like a proper title, it's like, this is just an agglomeration of a bunch of wild arm characters you already know and have already played their games, kind of coming together and doing like some like, it's like more of like a fan servicey like you remember this character right? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's just sure. like I'm not really big into that. And, like, for example, like, I remember there was a long time ago the Tales Radiant Mythology PSP game. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, like, like it's just, game. like, I mean, it's just stuff like like that that game. Like, th there's, like, the quest system where it's, like, kill 10 Polywiggles. Now kill 10 Polywiggles with Lloyd. Now <laughs> kill 10 Polywiggles with uh, Stan. 
now do it with, you know, Sennel and all these characters and just kind of like, sure. I don't know. <laughs> and so like, I don't know, I don't know why I brought that up, but it's like these crossover type games where it's just kind of like a mix of like characters and things from the other games kind of mashed together and like gotcha type stuff, which I, we don't know if that, if the Wild Art game is going to have like stamina or what's going to be. <laughs> Did they so say, I'm sorry, there's, go ahead, Jess. There's a, there's a good chance it probably will. I mean, and just that, uh, that type of style is just not really my thing. So. Yeah, I was gonna ask like, was that confirmed that Wild Arms would have like this big crossover thing? Was like, what, wait, it was like the key art, right? That had, like, well, yeah. I think the key art showed yeah. characters in the first two games or something. And a- yes. anytime they have key visuals for mobile games that had like previous uh, protagonists, it's like, yeah, there's gonna be a crossover, probably gotcha. If, if it's not gotcha, it's your, it has a gotcha system like for weapons, for example. Well, so I, I bring this up because I'm, I'm curious because this is uh, Sony's spinoff studio. Was it? I forget what the name of the company is. For some reason, I'm thinking of WayForward, but I think it's got a similar title to it. D E N A or not? I don't know. Something like that. But I uh, like it's Sony, and so I would assume that they're going to put more, way more effort into it than your typical like agree or something like that i don't <laughs> that know try to make don't money off know. I mean, I, for the but this is the thing is that this would be their first real uh presentation Forward like the first uh, attempt in terms because uh, you've got that and you've also got the um arc the lad game also being made oh, the yeah, mobile right. game but i would assume that they're going to put all their effort to make the best that they could possibly make in that arena but yeah i guess it remains yeah to the, be... the company is forward works yeah that was, and right that was... now right now they're doing uh the mobile everybody's golf game which i don't know if that's out yet but that's kind uh, yeah of like it is it is and actually heard that was pretty good like yeah so that's kind of, that's kind of like like i'm on their youtube channel right now and they have a bunch of videos on that golf mobile game so that's kind of like their focus at the moment i wish so. they would look like that that'd be i'm playing hot shots golf anywhere i want would be pretty awesome but that's just that's just my opinion like i heard that people are loving the new hot shots golf game by the way on yeah PS4. it's i heard I've i heard really like... good things about it yeah, exactly. I've seen a lot of videos of it. There's probably there's apparently problems with like the matchmaking and the, and the way that like, people connect to each other. There's been like a lot of errors and mm. network issues with that. But outside of that, it's apparently like uh, another great Hot Shots golf game, and that's definitely one I want to buy sometime soon. But mm. you know, it's just it's just a thing. Like, uh, is this going to be the future of the series? That's kind of like my broader uh, uh, wonder about it because we've got you know Wild Arms, Arc the Lad. That's going to be the same front mission, and you're talking about like story in these games it's like if you're not uh if story is not too important to you if gameplay if the mobile game gameplay is good enough would it be something that you'd try out adam it's i mean it's just going to dilute the conversation down to like the very basic <laughs> function i'm sorry it's, it's not that i i'm not really a big mobile game person sure and it's not because like they don't have stories or whatever it's more that like i a lot of mobile games, like, they're designed to more be, like, I don't know, they feel like time wasters just kind of, like, keep you occupied while you're waiting for something. Like, if you're, sure. on, a, if you're on, like, a commute or if you're, like, on break at work or something, you just That's need like something to kind of pass right? the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm never really in that situation where I, where I need a time waster. Like, if I'm just sitting at home and I want to play a game, I don't really want to just, like, all right, let me sit on the couch and jump on my phone and, you uh. know, play this game. And it's just... Like so, it just doesn't that 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 style like stamina or gotcha or whatever, which works if you're just kind of like, you know, bored somewhere where you don't really have access to anything else. You know, it works for that. It just I'm not really in that situation, so just that 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 type of gameplay like model just doesn't really uh-huh. just doesn't really fit with how what I'm looking for. I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense then. Like I have played some games on phones. Like, for example, I played the ports of the first three Dragon Quest games. But oh, those are yeah. like, you know, 
but yeah, so it's like it's not like I don't it's not like I don't like playing on a phone. It, um, I mean, it's probably not my preferred way to play, but you know, it's like that's just more of like a proper release that you know it's, it doesn't feel like a time waster. It just feels like an old school RPG or something. So it kind of just depends on the style, I guess. So yeah, and that's different, of course. It's like a port, a rema- sort of a remastered yeah, port. Yeah, I Even also if, like, started you know. a long time ago, Final Fantasy uh, Dimensions, which yes. is kind of similar. I, I put like six hours in that game thinking it was like a 10 hour game or something like that and I'm like Geez, this game feels like how long is this game and you look it up and it's like a 50 hour game like it's I don't a full fledged RPG yeah. but I heard it was good I heard that game was good I never played it but I heard it was good yeah so it's, <laughs> I don't know if I can put 50 hours on a phone game like that no but... that's I mean yeah. I'll put 50 hours just by doing what you're just saying about like you know when you need something to pass the time like eventually I'll like rank up 50 hours but that's like you know bite sized amounts yeah and, and that's I also over played like weeks. for example I played Adventures of Mana on a phone yeah and that's you know a short game that's like 8 hours or something like that yeah um, back then. so that so sense. it just kind of depends on what the st- on what the kind of structure is uh well, speaking of structure, then, because you were talking about these handheld experiences, you've also noticed been playing a lot of Etrian Odyssey, which kind of goes against what you were just saying, but that's fine. <laughs> but uh, by that, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like you don't have a lot of time to be playing like on a on a handheld or on your phone or something like that. Like, but you've been playing a lot of Etrian Odyssey, though. How's that been? I, I, for me, like you're, you're up to the point right now. Like you, of course, played two and three, but you're up to four, which I think is like the best the series has been. But how's been your experience with that series? So. I, I've always been pretty fond of like the dungeon crawler games, and I've talked about this before. Just the party composition, the class systems, like having to coordinate and all that. Um, it tends to avoid some of the uh, like overpowered character things we were just talking about because it kind of all depends on how you kind of like fit your units together. Uh, of course, there's always going to be like, you know, especially with these games being several years old now, some combination that someone's found or is like, oh, if you have these combination of characters and you can get through 90% of the game or whatever but like I still feel like there's a lot of with the class system and with the uh, you know you have like five characters you can put in a, in, in a party and you have like ten classes to choose from that's a lot of different combinations you can come up with and not only that but like you have to choose which skills you want on each character as you level up and you know different skills are suited for different things like depending on how you want to use that class um and so, like, I, what I guess what I'm getting at is there's a lot of flexibility in how the player basically approaches the game, and I really appreciate that. And I hadn't played Etrian Odyssey for a long time for no really good reason. I had played a bunch of other dungeon-type RPGs, so I, I pretty much knew I would love them, and I do, basically. Um, so I just kind of decided with Etrian Odyssey 5 coming out, like, you know what, I'm just going to marathon through these games. So I am. And... While I wasn't on the podcast the last couple of weeks, I played through two and three, and I'm working on four right now. Um, so, um, I mean, I really, really liked three. Uh, it kind of it was like one to two kind of felt kind of samey. They like changed a few things, but it felt like a wash in terms of like um, it wasn't really an improvement. It was more just kind of like more of the same. Yeah, two um, felt more like an expansion pack to one. Yeah, it was kind of like more maps, you know. Yeah. And it was yeah. fine. Like, it was more of the same. And I think the first Tetrian Odyssey, I wanted to start with the original. Um, like, I know there's a remake, but I, I, I really like seeing, like, how things started and how they sure. evolved over yeah. time. So I like, let me just play the original, very first Tetrian Odyssey game and see what it was like. 
And like going from that to two, it's just like, okay, well, it's, it's I like the original in terms of like being the first game of its style. It two just kind of felt like more of the same. And three was just kind of like an obvious like, this is next level. Uh, you know, they they made a ton of changes in terms of how skills work. They added a whole um kind of like a that that the third entry in this game is like on an ocean. So there's this whole like sea exploration like side game that's kind of incorporated with the rest of it. Um, and there's even some tweaks to things like how quests work and how loot works and uh, how these like limits work, and it was just like an obvious um, upgrade. And not only that, but like I think the art was really nice, and I think the music was the best that I've seen so far. So <laughs> I really like three. Four is uh, more like three, uh, kind of like another evolved uh, step from there. This one has a big presentation difference, obviously from yes. DS3DS. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not certain how I feel about it yet in terms that enemies are now like these models that animate rather than static pictures. Sure. And I know some people might say like, well, that's obviously better. That's like objectively better. Right. And like, well, I don't know. I kind of like the style of having like these just 2d portraits, um, like these like artwork rather than like the models for enemies, even though they don't move or animate or anything. Like it's just kind of like a stylistic thing. And also the music is no longer like, chiptune music but it's like fully orchestrated yes it's the first time again some people might be like well that's obviously objectively better you know why don't we like this more it's like well i kind of like the chiptune style especially the way oh come on etchinazi 4 soundtrack i know this is not (laughs) i know this is not an isolated opinion i know a couple people who basically you're isolated i'm I'm thinking included in etrian odyssey 5 and some of the untold games dlc for chiptune versions of those songs because some people like you know, like the way that, especially the way that Yuzo Koshiro uh, works with that, um, and he's been doing this for a long time, like starting with like the East games, like some of those original soundtracks, like the original East. Yeah, it's been around uh, for a long time, yeah. Yeah, and like so, there's just like this. It's again like a style thing. So I, I, I'm still getting used to like these fully orchestrated songs and these animated models of enemies. Um, and it, I'm not really settled. Like, do I like this better, or is it just different? Oh. Do I just Except I mean, for, the know. FOE music, it gets you so pumped, man. The oh, FOE music so is the same music that is the C music in Etrian Odyssey 3, only orchestrated. And yeah. that one is actually the thing where I'm like, well, I don't know if I like the Etrian Odyssey 3 oh. version better. No. <laughs> oh, come on. You're picky. Adam, you're picking yeah. on it. You're, you're so picky. <laughs> you're just making me think, like, back on the models thing. Like, when, you know, when I played, like, uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4 and Apocalypse over, say, like, Nocturne and even Persona 5. And just making me think that, like, I really do like the kind of the charm of sprites. Like, when you, especially when, like, you say you overpower an enemy in four, like, how the sprite, like, separates and displaces itself. Like, if you, like, do, like, a fatal slash on it. Yeah. So you'll see them, like, on different places. And you don't see that with the 3D models at all, really. They don't have, like, special, like, death animations when, like, you, you overpower them that, that, that much. Like, it, it, there's, there's weird, weird, clever visual tricks that you can do on sprites. But like you know, you can never really achieve the same effect with 3D models. So I, I kind of see your point there for sure. Yeah, like yeah, I said, it's kind of like a style entry. thing. Okay. Have you played the other entries? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I love the fourth the most. It's so good. Like every aspect like, of it is so incredible. Yeah. In terms of like gameplay, it's very similar um, to three. In terms of like subclassing and the skill system, and actually like the UI is a lot better in terms of uh, the skill trees, for example. 
So like that presentation point is a lot is improved. I think uh, that for, I'm sorry for interrupt. Uh, like I think for me it's like one has like a somewhat of a shocking story. Like if you don't pay attention too closely to what's happening, you're gonna miss like one of the most shocking parts of like a video game uh, in a long time that I've seen. Uh, but for me, yeah, four I think it's also helped by its really strong localization. I think it's got the best localization four does of the series. I think um, just moving forward. Uh, Etrian Odyssey as a series, like they, there was recently an interview uh, that Famitsu had with series director Shigeo Komori, and you know they're doing like obviously the a, a new Etrian Odyssey is in development for them, kind of like a festive thing. But the the most interesting part about this interview was that this will be the last title in the series that uses the bottom screen of the 3DS to draw the map. So yeah. you know, <gasps> uh, no yeah, I, so totally, I, I totally like ganked that whole system by just using like I auto mapped and I I leveled up. I cheapened the system by like auto like finding ways to like, uh, cheat my way to high levels. So obviously, you know, they're they're kind of hinting at like after this next uh, Etrian Odyssey they're working on, they're probably gonna make the move over to the Switch and see you know what their solution will be there on like because I know a lot of people to Etrian Odyssey to them they really like drawing their own maps in that series. How do you feel about you know just losing that bottom screen for the? Well, maps? here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, yeah, like I, I know I know some people that that, that interview said there's going to be like one more Etrian Odyssey game on, on 3DS or yeah, at least yeah, yeah, at, yeah, after after Etrian Mystery Dungeon Two, there's going to be one more on 3DS. And, and then... some people are assuming that it might be like Etrian Odyssey Untold Three. Um, yeah, yeah see that. which what Makes that would sense. basically do is it puts a version of each of the five games all on 3DS. Yeah. Um, so like you could play what is right now the whole series on that one platform. Um, but like in terms of the mapping thing, I've played other dungeon RPGs. I've played a lot of the experience ones, for example, and all of them have this system where if you like walk over a tile on a map, it fills in on your map, like automatically. Yeah. And even the very first Etrian Odyssey game had this. The, the thing that makes Etrian Odyssey a little bit different is that, um, you had to, there are some elements like map elements like arrows or whatever you could put on the map that you drew yourself, but it still, yes. had, it still had at least a very basic auto map feature. But like I played other games, dungeon RPGs that aren't on 3DS, where like it's still you know you're still filling out a map. It just kind of automatically does it for you as you step on different on step on tiles and open doors and whatnot. Yeah. So they could just kind of go that route where if they do a, if they do like whatever their next series is a Tree Odyssey Switch or if they even just do a new IP and over overall where it's just kind of a more standard map rather than you having so much control over it. So I don't know. It, it, it to me that wasn't it's not a huge. Yeah. It, it was it was never a big like draw like, for you. I, on, I've had the auto map feature in Etrian Odyssey turned on since the very first step in the very first one. And yes, I've used some of the things to like put in doors or whatnot because it doesn't do it for you. But, you know, it's not like that important to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think, I guess, like on a Switch, it's like because it's got a touch screen. Have, I assume yeah, that when you have, you have to... a docked, you can like mess with this. You have something on this on the bot, on the actual screen as you're holding it or something like that. But wait, is it like it's docked? So you can't even see it. So you can't even do yeah, that. Maybe yeah, you something can't do like that. Yeah, well, and like other dungeon crawlers, uh, like they have like modes where there's a mini map, of course, mm-hmm. but you can like maybe like overlay kind of like a transparent version of the yeah. tiled map, like hit a button on the screen, so you can kind of like watch it as you are plunking around, and so you might just have to do something like that. Yeah, and obviously, answers, obviously yeah. you can open it up in the menu and just have the map, but it just wouldn't be able to like have like one screen dedicated to it, obviously. So it's that's just kind of an inevitability. Like, uh, 
Yeah, because so. because there's definitely you know Etrian Odyssey is kind of like one of those like last remaining series that kind of brought back like that like you know early era of RPGs where you know people brought out like grid paper and like drew actual maps to, like kind of oh, yeah. keep track of where they I are. Did that. <laughs> I definitely did that. You know, oh, yeah, that's I so... did that in Norashika, which like oh was, yeah, that's right. Years ago, mm-hmm. those maps randomized in a bit, so I kind of I, I, they did that for the first few <laughs> SMT games. I'm like, oh fuck, can't remember my. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. I kind of the... cheat when I when I played some of the earlier uh, Persona, like Persona One, which is basically a dungeon crawler. I just looked mm-hmm. at the maps online. I mean, all you, all you have to do with uh, Etrian Odyssey Four is that you have to like have something that's like of a weight, and then close the 3DS screen just enough, and then let it set down on the what was it, the A or B button, so that it proceeds. And then, with, as long as you have the auto map going, uh, the auto direction thing with the arrows, you can just keep going around in circles yeah. and leveling up that way. Yeah, I, I I played enough of the game where I see how that works because the <laughs> The medic class has an ability, I forget what it's called, but it's like, it heals you after battle. So what you do is, you you know, like, I kind of knew how, I I didn't really know how this works, but it's kind of, you know, but going in, it's kind of obvious now. You just basically put all your points in that ability, so you heal, like, to full after every battle. Yeah, that's what I did. Do the little auto map arrows and just get into battles that you're strong enough, and then just keep fighting over and over and over again. You keep getting healed, and... <laughs> yeah, you while you're doing something else, it could just be level enough for you. So that's I might that's, I uh, might actually do that just because uh just for time's sake. I know it's kind of cheap, but no, that's that's grinding. I mean, that's you instead of just grinding, you it just does it itself. And so I would highly recommend that because that's how I was able to make the game kind of more enjoyable for me. Because I I didn't have to just sit there and as you said, we don't all have a lot of free time on our hands. And so I would I, I would kind of recommend considering it. I'm kind of like playing catch up on this series. You know, yeah, <laughs> you you got you got five to look forward to, and that's supposed to be out sometime soon. So. October, yeah. Yeah, sometime soon. Uh, and you're covering that for us too, right? So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. You're a resident dungeon uh, caller guy I now that I, I took you took over for me. Had, at that point, I hadn't played Etrian, so. <laughs> so yeah. Overall opinion of the series though, so far, is that are you I mean, like? I, I kind of knew going in that I would like it, you know, based yeah. on other style, other games in that style that I've played. So, I like it a lot. You know, three was like. <laughs> In terms of, like, original DS games, like, it's hard to beat the combination of, like, Radiant Historia and The World Ends With You as, like, number one and two in some order. Right. So um, And then, like, when I, when I start to think, like, what's my third favorite DS game? Like, original DS game, not, like, a port or something like that. Infinite sure. Space. I haven't played that one. But, like, I, what I'm saying Kirby. is, Etrian Odyssey 3, for in terms of original DS games, is at least probably top five, if not top three. I liked it a lot. <laughs> So. It's it's a lot of fun and it's it, do, it uh, definitely still holds up as you said like the art style really lends it uh, lends it to itself to kind of help it uh, be so popular so that's great yeah, I, uh, is there I anything else the sorry a little bit of dive in the fourth one in terms of just character <laughs> so just a little bit sure so is there anything else you're looking forward to playing before you get to other stuff to review um I mean I started Zelda and I've talked about that before I haven't finished that yet uh, so. Once I kind of finish this Etrian Odyssey marathon, I'll probably get back to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let us know how it goes with Etrian Odyssey 4 once you get to the end of it, because, man, that game has one cool ending. Uh, so, Josh, uh, I saw that oh. online um, when I was looking on social media. I saw you talking about how that you were playing Guru Mark of the Wolves while drinking, playing players on their own battlegrounds <laughs> as they were running up. How has that game been? I mean, have you? Uh, how many times have you gotten a chicken dinner? Because I know Kyle's obsessed with that game. But uh, no. Okay, uh, so <laughs> like uh, last weekend, I was like, I just can't. I came home from a family lunch uh, the other day, and I was like, okay, well, I mean, I keep seeing it online. I hear about it from friends, so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take the dip. 
I, I will go see what this Player Unknowns Battlegrounds is because it seems to be the hottest thing of this year. And I'm like, oh, okay. The, okay. I, I like I like my shooters, so let's let's do it. Um, so I've been playing with uh, a few friends that have uh, several hundreds of hours into it, to say the least. Mm. They have like 300, 400 hours. Uh, and I definitely like playing that game more in squads, duos or squad, uh, teams of four uh, than I do solo. It's just... it. It has some really, 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 really uh, impressive audio work, and I, I know a lot of listeners here like they, they might be like tired of like hearing some PUBG. So I will I'll be, I won't be too dwell too long on it, but I will say that there's been you know not that many shooters that like kind of nail audio design as much as PUBG does because of the vast like open nature of it. Obviously, the premise is there's a hundred of you, you're dropped onto an island uh, via plane. You can try, you can pretty much choose anywhere where you want to drop on that island, depending on the trajectory of the plane that you're on. Mm -hmm. And uh, just every gunshot in that game counts because it does positional uh, audio so well. Because you have a little compass at the top of the the center of your screen. And anytime like we hear a gunshot, uh, my friends are always quick to point out like what is it, what are its various is it north uh, northwest or east and like give like specific numbers uh, depending on that compass so you all have like a general idea of like where that gunshot came from and like uh, if there's like any squads by us uh, who you know landed by us so and so audio being that uh, you know spotting gunshots and also just like let's say like you're on this multi-floored building and you hear like someone like kind of scurrying at the top and you don't see like a name by it, meaning that like they're not part of your team or your squad. It's just, it, it gets you, it becomes almost like a, has a horror element in it because you don't know when you're going to like run at that dude and every <laughs> uh, every like movement that you do makes some kind of noise, even if you're prone, like you, you can you can still hear a little bit of it. So having like like really good headphones for that kind of stuff like actually matters in that game. Sure. Yeah. Sense. I mean, it's hard. It's almost hard to describe, mm-hmm. but like hearing about like what this game like is like in terms of like what you actually do in it. it I, mm-hmm. It's like the appeal seems obvious to me. Like and like so, you basically are dropped like into a battlefield with little or nothing, and then like mm-hmm. the battlefield shrinks as you like pick up weapons and whatever. Right? Yeah. It's over time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so... and, and it. Is it always teams, or is there like a free for all mode as well? Or both? Yeah, both. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's both. Like, yeah, okay. it's not yeah. it's not it's not always teams. You can uh, go like queue up solo. But and, anyways, uh, like, for it. there's this level of like, I know I've seen some people complain like there is gonna be a little bit of randomness to it. Like, are you gonna be spawned like right away next to a, a useful weapon or whatever? But you know, I kind of feel like that almost makes like every match unique and interesting, and it just kind of you know it, like that appeal seems really obvious and really cool and like i'm i'm not really surprised that it seems to be doing really well because it yeah i don't know it just seems like a really yeah. cool idea yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no no, no match is the same like even though like the objective is simple you know like be the last one sa- standing the ways you go about it is uh always going to be different because the the map size is quite large for this island and the route you're taking is always gonna be different depending on like which zone it decides on like at the beginning of the game uh, you're dropped off, and after a few minutes, it'll designate like a, like a white circle and says, hey, be in that circle because after this timer uh, goes out, there's going to be a, 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 like a blue circle that encloses on that white circle. And if you're on the other side of that blue zone, your health will start ticking down being in this zone. So you have to be in that white circle to, for your health to stop dropping. So it, it, like, it forces players to all like you know eventually be 
in the same area so you're, you're never like away from the action for too long there's always gonna be you know the after you drop there's gonna be this, this looting phase and then uh after that looting phase you're kind of uh you, you kind of think about okay am, am i gonna try to like uh stay at one spot or maybe try to uh, get around and try to get more resources so does it does it feel like it like always keeps like the game moving because sometimes like in like more traditional like deathmatch or capture the flag type mm-hmm. modes in other games like especially capture the flag like sometimes those matches can take forever because it just kind of stalls but like this this whole style kind of like it's it's kind of impossible for a match to just kind of stall like that, wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really stall, but there's definitely like say if you're doing solo, like if you're if you want to ensure that like you want to win and survive, you can always do like kind of like a lame tactic of like you know just staying at one house and that one house uh, happens to be like always in the circle, uh, so you're kind of just like waiting there for people and like kind of doing twenty twenty five minutes of like nothing, and you can do that. But the way like you know I play with friends, like they're we're always kind of on the move. It's like okay. Let's uh drop here, and if there's too many people here, uh let's, let's secure a car first, and like move somewhere else, and like loot there instead. And you know when you think about the tactical uh nature of it, you th- you think about okay, so the plane is coming from this direction and heading to this direction of the map. So what are, what's the likeliness that people will go over this town based on the trajectory of that of that plane? Did they go over? Did they drop? And parachute all the way over to that side of the of the map. If not, then that's more of a safe spot to like say loot. You know, so it's just it's just very minor but meaningful tactical considerations like that that like matter. And I think that playing in a way that you're always moving, not necessarily always camping out. It's it's more fun to me. I'd rather I'd rather drop down and like get like one or two kills and die within the first like three minutes of a match than drop down and then secure a house for like 25 30 minutes seeing no action and then just dying meaning meaningless <laughs> yeah. yeah so and it's very it's always very it's just, it's always very quick to get back to the game you just go back to the main menu hit ready it like uh puts you like in a lobby that'll count down for like 50, 50 seconds then you're back into like a new game and since you know the sheer size and population of that game at the moment you're always going to be finding people and they know that's what that's what matters in that kind of game because you need to have like that stable 100 uh players because that's what makes the game work for me it's yeah. uh that high player count so i've been having you know da- uh, dabbing in that like dabbling with that for a bit uh i i looked at my steam profile i somehow already got like 10 hours to that game like that doesn't feel like 10 hours but maybe that's why people get you so enjoyed it hooked so much, into it. yeah realize how much time was yeah. passing yeah that's uh, crazy but uh, other than that i've uh i've been kind of thinking of what else i'm gonna play next i've been still kind of working my way through Do- tokyo dark uh still have the same feelings that i did on that uh last week so tokyo dark cool. sorry just remind me because yeah. i was in here that's that square enix collective like yeah yes. is it like a? it's not visual novel but it's like a it's a, it's an it? adventure <laughs> game it's like a psychological like, thriller is it like uh, a point and click like adventure? yeah yeah like, it is very much okay. that yeah okay and and the whole thing with that is like it has like stats on, on it, like the spin system that kind of affects like your kind of your sanity versus your professionalism, and whatnot. And it, it it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I really dig the art style, but uh, I'm still working my way through it, kind of getting more endings and whatnot. It it has, it goes places for sure. But I think it really nails kind of like the feeling of like kind of slowly going insane and using very smart audio cues to kind of amp it up when when it really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I w- I recently got Absolver. Uh, I'll check into that, see how that is. Absolver um, is like that, like one versus one, like combat 
don't know what you yeah. call it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's like kind of like a it's, yeah, it's kind of like your bra like a like a customizable brawler type yeah. game. So you'll be going through multiple masteries and kind of creating your own move style and set. And I hear that you can like create like like there'll be like a mentor system where you can like learn moves from other people or like from enemies if you like that. So I'm not too sure on like the nitty gritty of it, but we'll see. I've kind of also been eyeing like my uh, cursor over the buy button on like the XCOM 2 DLC, that War of the Chosen one. Yeah. I heard so many good things about it. But I don't know. I already have so many other things to get to. There's also this yeah. Mario and Rabbids game that I have to like eventually get to. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's still very busy season. Not, not necessarily a lot a lot of like new news, but there's a lot of games to play. Yep. Well, sweet. I mean, that's. It's kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't know about... There's so many games to play before the end of the year. But for me, the game that's been taking up most of my time this past week is something I talked about before. It's where Romano Mask of Truth because I... It's a long game. It is it is a long game. It's a They said it's a 50-plus hour strategy RPG, which reminded me, as I talked about last time, about Tears to Tiara, which was an 80-plus hour strategy game that I never actually got around to beating because it was pretty overwhelming. And frankly, it wasn't that great experience the story was cool and the voice acting was good but like the gameplay wasn't pulling me in i've had sort of the opposite experience though with mask of truth um and also mask of deception as well which i reviewed for the site now i kind of talked about this in the review itself but i had to make sort of an admission that i didn't in fact beat deception uh i actually got pretty far in it maybe 30 hours or so and then i decided to do my review which now I really regret. And so those weeks I was talking about actually going to the post-game content, I was actually just finishing up the game because uh, I wanted to get there in time for Mask of Truth. And for what it's worth, I found that to be very much extremely worth it because Mask of Deception lays off on a hell of a cliffhanger. Um, it gets pretty damn uh, dramatic at times, uh, the way that the story sort of goes in like a roller coaster and the emotions so i was very happy to be able to beat that game and move into mask of truth knowing full well what was going to happen is it a good roller coaster or a bad roller coaster great it's a great roller coaster i had an amazing time with the game okay. i'll be honest so what happened was that my uh sort of um approach to mask of deception was that i was expecting more gameplay than i got and so i was disappointed in that regard because there's not a lot of battles uh up to my point that I actually reviewed the game. I didn't, there were a lot of battles. And then I found out towards the end, uh, there's way more. Um, or at least there's definitely a higher ratio of them. Uh, there's still a huge amount of story. But the thing that I... So moving into Mask of Truth, I sort of approached it with the feeling that, okay, I'm not going to get a lot of the combat in the game because that's all there is. It's either combat or story. There's no, like, walking around I mean, or anything they've, like they've that. always kind of built this as, like, uh, a visual novel SRPG. Like, yeah. like I, I think pretty much anyone who's familiar with it is pretty pretty clear to say like this isn't this has the balance is a little bit different what you might expect you might go like hours between battles like just text and dialogue and that's it so that's that's the experience that i had too it's like 90 percent visual novel 10 percent uh yeah gameplay thing is i did play the original utero romano but that's been years so i now the original is is the original pure visual novel then no it's still both it's okay. definitely both. It's it's just that like the ratio. I I forgot about what it was like. And from what I from what I, from what I remember, excuse me, I played that game back around two thousand eight, sometime in college, and it was after they put out a, a fan translation of that game. So I was able to play it then, and I was curious because I heard a lot about it, and there was the anime and all that stuff that came out. So I was curious enough to play it. Um, but going into like Mask of Truth, 
I've sort of changed my perspective about what I was going to expect from the amount of gameplay. And I will say that there are more battles, although it's still sort of uh, unbalanced in that respect. But it's, they've done a lot of really great quality of life changes that I think are important. For one thing, and this is something I mentioned in our Discord as well, that uh, now that... Uh, now they've changed it so that even if the players in your party, if they're not in the combat, they're not in combat, they still earn experience points. And so I don't have Every to worry about Every game should do that. <laughs> yes. At least, uh, at least partial experience, at least. Yeah, because they actually forced some characters in your party towards the end that I didn't level. <laughs> so yeah. they're really low-level characters, like level 20, where everyone else like level 50. And I was like, oh, I'm fucked. And, and actually, it was pretty difficult to keep them alive because they would, for some reason, I guess the game was... Uh, uh, changed the balance where that they were kind of targeting those characters anyway, so it was kind of oh, annoying. That sucks. Yeah, it, it was kind of annoying. Um, but going into actually, can I, let me just bounce off of that. Yeah. Because um, I never mm -hmm. actually talked about it on a on a podcast. It just happened that way. God Wars yeah. was another SRPG that released earlier this year, and God Wars like has like fifteen characters total or something, mm -hmm. and you you can usually bring like five into a battle. And I kept bringing, like, four main characters who were oftentimes required, and then, like, a fifth who was, like, never required. And then, like, towards the end of the game, like, there's this, like, really important character I never used who, like, basically was, like, in every battle in the second half. Oh, and, like, no. He was, yeah. like, a big handicap for me because he was always, like, 20 levels behind everyone else, and yeah. I just kind of sat him in the corner. Like, the first time he was required, I'm just kind of like, oh, he's just required for this battle, so I'll just kind of sit him in the corner. I'll be handicapped a bit for this battle because he's going to be useless, but, you know, I'll just get past it and ignore him. And, like, oh, I guess he's required in this battle, too. And, and the, did the experience, did, so did the experience like, ah. gain like scale with it though? Like, did it ever be like, hey, okay, you finished this battle with this character, he's severely under leveled, so we're gonna give you like a bone and like oh, like, level, like five, say, six in, levels. In my least. game, sorry for this tangent, mm -hmm. yeah. experience was unit specific, so if I didn't have him do anything, he didn't gain oh, any Oh no! <laughs> okay, that's so he was yeah. always useless, and it kind of like handicapped me for the whole second half of that. Anyways, yeah, SRW is very much like that. that. Yeah. Reminded me of that. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like I didn't like when you first get this character. At least in my in my experience in God Wars, like it's not so apparent right away that he's like, like going to be like so important. But then he was. <laughs> it was like uh. so. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I, I definitely know where you're coming from with this quality of life, gaining XP outside of battle. It's just. Yeah, and I, I would say that's like one of the weaknesses of Final Fantasy Tactics, and that it had that problem too. And so, like, I I love Cloud. Never gonna use him though, because he's way under level compared to the rest <laughs> of the group. So, uh, I totally understand that. For the good news is at least, um, so the important important thing to point out is that everyone earns experience no matter what at the end of battle. So that's in Mask of Truth anyway. Yeah. Uh, the difference, of course, is that every time you attack a character or heal somebody or whatever, perform an action. Um, other than walking to a place. You earn experience, so it's like a bonus on top of what you're going to earn. The yeah. other part is that you earn bonus points uh, for those that actually actively participate in battles. The ones that aren't in it don't earn any BP, is what it's called, but those who are active in it do earn it. And so the important point is that bonus points are used towards building up your stats, such as HP, speed, strength, defense, so that kind you, of thing. I think, I think you said this for the first game. You, you kind of choose which stats you want to... Yes. Power up. You do. So. And so you obviously some characters are meant to be in a certain uh are yeah. supposed to be like kind of filtered into a thing. So like they're maybe starting off with way more strength than they do with the defense. Uh for me it's that I made uh Haku be very highly defensive. 
and yeah. uh, in Mask of Deception anyway. And then the rest of the characters, I just focused on strength because I figured like if I hit him hard enough, I can beat. Just the make a team. Of, just make a team of glass cannons. We're like we can't take a there punch, we go. but we're gonna. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty much you it. We get Kill you before you kill us. Well, yeah. so I will also admit that I made a, a grand mistake that I didn't uh, recognize by the time I did my review is that. There's scrolls you can equip in your characters that provide bonuses. So I totally missed out on the on that entire mechanic, and I do regret that happening. Oh, so I've got to apologize for that. But what the thing is is that those so uh, once you uh, throughout the game, you're on scrolls from combat that you do. So by the, uh, when you win, it's like one of the rewards, like a scroll that you might might earn, and these scrolls contain things like you know 10% more attack or. If, uh, for example, like anyone within this uh, particular grid, these squares that are around you, because this, this is a strategy RPG, of course, they yeah. get... It's actually more like a tactical, because it's got like tile-based height and everything, so it's way more interesting than just your flat ground, like a project yeah. cross zone or something like that. Um, but it, it's got it where like anyone within this entire area has is, is got a speed boost, and so like you just want to keep your characters uh, close to each other. And there's also things like if your health drops below a certain percentage point, you get a boost to your stats. So there's all these things that I totally missed out on. And so I was on the, like the last part of the game and I was having a pretty difficult time. And then I realized once I equipped it, I made the game like a cakewalk. I'm like, what have I been doing? Uh, so I think I took all that experience that I learned about those, about the game into mask of truth. And I've been having a way better time. And I think the hmm. best part of the way that the game is crafted is that and this is what I appreciate more than other visual novels, uh, is that you never miss anything. I think that's important to point out. There's no routes. So what happens is that at certain points of the game, uh, it'll ask you to go, like, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to your office? Do you want to go to uh, outdoors? Do you want to go to your bedroom? And there are different times of the day. But they, it makes you go through all those scenes before you get to progress in the story. So I don't miss anything. And I think that's kind of the thing that makes me um, not too into visual novels. I appreciate them, and I think they're great. Uh, but I hate the idea of having to, like, Beat the game, come back, and complete through like a so. So, Mask like of Truth. I'm not. I'm not super familiar with visual novels, but I know that they oftentimes have routes and bad endings or whatnot. But I no. played like 999, for example. But like Mask of Truth. Yeah. There's two one questions. <laughs> First of all, it's like a book. You just from start to finish, or a movie. Yes. You know, or an yes. anime. You know, there's one start, there's one ending, and you you go oh, no, from no, one no, to the other. You want to talk about anime? I mean, that's a whole different thing about spinoffs and shit. But yeah, continue. Well, <laughs> well not like not like the Fate series or something like that, which is a visual novel. To begin no one with. should talk about Quote the Fate series. Ending, yes. But um, would you say that like these two games? First of all, like the the original Utawaru mm-hmm. Mano. Like, how necessary or not is it to play that? And also. So, Second yeah. part of the second part of that question is sure, these sorry. two Vita PS4 games. Do you kind of have to play both if you want the full experience? Like there, there's sometimes there's these like game and sequel pairs that kind of feel like one game split into two. Like for example, uh, the Digital Devil Saga games, the uh, the Pokemon. first two East games, the first two East games. Well, not Pokemon, but like games where it's like you don't get the full experience if you just play one. Like, yes. can I just play the first Mask of Deception and be, like, satisfied? <laughs> no. Or do you kind of have to play both? No. Uh, yeah. Absolutely not. So let me explain what it's all about. So Utuara Mano, of course, came out around early 2000. Uh, the thing, though, I think it was, like, 2002. So that's the first game. These yeah. two games act together as a duology, as a sequel. So it's Mask of Deception follows the first game, and then Mask of Truth is a, yes. a direct sequel. But Mask of Deception, and this is what I was I talked about before, it leaves off on a huge cliffhanger, like a very important cliffhanger, and it, it gets everything gets resolved in Mask of Truth, supposedly. I'm still 
I'm like in the last maybe two hours of it. So by the time my review goes up, people who are listening to this will know I've beaten the game and my review will reflect that. I've actually already gotten a review pretty much all typed up. I just want to kind of fine tune it based on my experience at the end of it. Like right now, it's a pretty sizable review, but it's something I'm really proud of. Actually, I feel like I put a lot of effort into it. So I'm excited to see um, what people think about that. But it's definitely the ending that like totally change your tone. Like, wow, that totally sucked. And now I got to change everything. (laughs) It could. I mean, it definitely <laughs> depends on how it leaves off. But the thing is, is that, uh, you know, you and I, uh, everyone here, I think, knows who Elliot Gay is. Um, yep. He imported both those games before, when they were out in Japan, and they came out a year apart from each other, like, yeah. to, like September 2014 and 2015 or something like that. Um, so uh, I've got to experience it through his uh, through his comments that he was making on social media, and he seemed really into it, so I was excited to check it out for myself. Um but because the the way the game is designed, uh, I think it does an amazing job building the characters themselves. So it's way it, it goes into like these complex explanations of the characters and their backstories and their dynamic between each yeah, other. With, and the relationships with that much, with that much text, I have to imagine that they can get pretty nuanced in terms of like and very in terms of like characters and their personalities and things. You know. Yes, I, I will mention though is that. Uh, probably my uh, disappointments with the story is that it does get into the harem part of it uh, with the male, male protagonist and all the girls around him. The problem Adam's is favorite that, trope. But the, the, I think that it takes a step further that makes it kind of disappointing in that um, it's 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 the kind of thing where it's like uh, at least at least with this protagonist is that he's very much a very reliable person. He's a very strong character who uh, definitely uh, can lead an army and uh, knows what he's doing. And it's kind of like a very strategic mind to him. And so like you can trust him and you feel like he's a very dependable guy as opposed to like most male protagonists. Like how, why Blank would anyone slate, like this yeah. guy? Like Kirito. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kirito's, I guess, I don't, from some, like, he's you know, dependable, but I Stuff like that you can deal with. But unless like there's like a whole bunch of drama that actually like becomes like the focus of the game for like an extended period of time, then it might be annoying where it's just like, I don't care about this. No, that's the thing. There's a lot of drama, but I think that the problem, the thing that makes me kind of disappointed about it is that a lot of the characters, if not all of the female characters have a bit of a tragic part to it. Like, especially what happens in the story, I think it's important to point out. I'm not going to spoil it, of course, but like it makes it even more difficult to witness these female characters being drawn to the male character because uh, of what the sto- what's happening in the story. So like, you're like, oh my gosh, this person's gonna have their heart broken, and it's it's tragic to see this unfolding in front of me. Like, I hate when this happens. In some sense, it's great in terms of the storytelling because like you can definitely feel like this is very genuine. Like what's happening between these two characters, the male and the female, and that like you can definitely see how they'd be drawn to each other, or at least the female being drawn to the male in this case. Um, but you know that like it's trying to lean into it a little too much and trying to make favorites, but all these characters are so well made that like they're all great characters and you don't want to see anything bad happen to any of them. Like you want to protect them all. <laughs> and so because it does that though, it's like you just wish that like they would all be sort of turned away early enough that it's not going to be too difficult to watch what happens next. So that's why like I'm excited to continue playing it towards the end because I'm curious to see how exactly they're going to resolve it. Uh, especially because like there's relationships that build up between even some of the other male characters that are in the in the game and the and the females, but like they all sort of turn towards the main protagonist, and that still makes it kind of like oh, this person's uh, going to be like the rebound. Oh, I can't see this. Is it going to be? Is it going to turn like into 
does it ever turn into like it kind of sacrifices the potential interesting interactions between like the other side characters interact with each other that say like this chick really works well has great chemistry with this chick and they like make they're such great friends and you want to see more of that but since like they have to like always make the main the, the main dude of focus the they kind of yeah they, they, have, they always they, the good news is at least they haven't it hasn't created conflict among the female characters because they all have feelings towards the male protagonist so so far it's still like like I said, it, it, it's it's definitely several steps above your typical like love triangle, annoying whatever. harem trope kind of style, oh. the, the anime kind of design. It's that they all have the important reasons to have affection towards the male protagonist, and so it's it's not it's definitely not a case where like uh the anything's being hurt by it. Only from the player's perspective is there any chance of it hurting the story so from what it's worth at least that it only it doesn't it's not always constantly there you know like i said uh there are different scenes you can witness and and play through and get to see what happens it's just more like you're like remembering like a scene that happened hours ago like oh my gosh like they they found this moment between the characters that uh like they spent some time alone in front of a fire or like they talked uh inside yeah. of this office like there's something that they can do really depend on each other like they're sort of like um they're kind of like the emotional like they're, they're shoulder to lean on in these important moments and this person comforted this other uh this the male protagonist comforted this female character at a time when they need it the most and when things happen like they get very uh emotional but like he's he's all he's there to help them through it and that's how they kind of develop yeah. feelings. And well, it's it's not things. even always the same way. It's like there's different ways that they yeah. sort of yeah. develop these feelings. It's not always as long one as, way. As long as, like, obviously, since we're not spoiling anything, we're kind of talking in vague terms here. I yeah, mean, I'm you're giving me clues it's, or whatnot. It's, but, like, the whole thing, so yeah. but as long as, like, the main character, like, actually has, like, a, a personality and a consistent personality and you kind of know, like, what type of character he is, <laughs> rather than being uh, just kind of like... I'm going to have to say no. So oh, he doesn't? <laughs> well, have to, you have to kind oh. of... Uh, that's that's what makes it even more... Uh, that's what makes it such a fascinating story, is the way he's, that they take... He's a vessel, Adam. It's he's not a your character. expectations at every turn. It does it such it, an amazing way. Well, the, story it, the second thing I was going to say... He's a shell. Well, let me, the let second me, thing I was going to say, as long as, the, as long as the female characters have their own like <laughs> interests and thoughts that maybe don't revolve around a guy sometimes you get those female characters are like the only like the only purpose for this female character to exist they have no other thoughts or input to anything other than they're crushing on the other dude <laughs> <laughs> well one of them is uh actually uh but it, in her case, her name is Aturi, and she is very much into the idea of love and romance uh the thing though is that she's also um extremely uh into the idea of war and fighting and so like i posted a picture online uh on, a, on my twitter account about her some of her response like i can't wait to be like bathing in the blood of my enemies or something like that it's it's she is definitely the character that is sort of um a yandere or something like that but it's it's a case where like and, and she's actually not that either like it's the great thing about this is that at no point do i feel like they're really sort of um uh uh, compartmentalizing any of the characters they're not like sort of pushing them into a, a specific type of trope or stereotype of the character i mean they definitely do have some of that stuff but and it's it's there and and, and uh, a certain degree but 
Um, none of the characters are really hurt by it. It's definitely not a case where like you're like, oh, this person's useless unless they're around this male protagonist. It's they are definitely very independent people as well, and they're strong-willed okay. people. But they go through a lot. They go through some insane stuff because there's a lot of war in this game. There's a lot of political intrigue. There's a lot of treason behavior. A lot of back backstabbing. A lot of traitorous people. And so they go through a whole lot of stuff that it's hard to see anybody be able to sort of stand on two feet being a bare witness to this because there's there's a lot of death there's a lot of blood there's a lot of that kind of stuff in that it, it's very it's a very mature story and in, in that sense uh it does have definitely sort of that anime flair to it and that like it's 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 definitely um uh some like some of the easygoing moments of that game played a little to those uh into like the slice of the lifestyle of, of an anime but for what it's worth like i said the story in uh, the, the Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth, it's easily the strongest asset in that entire series. And this is definitely, uh, going back to what you were saying before, Adam, this this is the conclusion of the series. And so, uh, whereas Utuar 1, uh, Utuar Mono 1, it was like the, the beginning of it, Truth, uh, Deception and Truth is Utuar Mono 2, just split in half. So like if it was like The Hobbit or something like that, like this is part one yeah. and part two. Um but so you definitely need to have played it. I would not know. I do not know about the first game. Um, I would say, uh, from what I've heard from people, it's that uh, certain characters appearing in this game in Mask of Truth: The Deception, uh, they don't hit a hard as hard as it would if you had not played the first game. And I did feel some of that when I got to play this game. Like, oh, I remember this guy. Or, oh yeah, he's like the leader of this country. I totally forgot about him. Uh, they do make an appearance, but it's not the case where you had to have played it. They do a great job in sort of e- reintroducing them, so you don't have to feel like you're uh, like lost in, in that sense. But um, and there's definitely still also some, I'm going through my review right now, and there is definitely some fan service, but it's it's only like there for like maybe in the, in the like in an eighty like in like a hundred hours total of a story, it's like maybe like there for like maybe you know, ten fifteen minutes. So it's not really it's definitely not there, but it's got a like the art is probably it's strongest asset is another one of its strongest assets because there's all these great original art pieces that they've got and the i think the character designs are great uh, uh for someone like me who's who's been a huge anime fan for years i think it's like one of my favorite sort of designs of that and it makes me actually want to go back and watch the anime that this is that this became because uh, there is an anime for uh it's romano the these two games they made one uh and that's i think is on country rule or something like that but i want to go back and watch that too but all said and told, I mean, people will find out my review. I think that um, at least at this point, when I'm leaning into like the uh, getting to the close to the climax of the story, uh, it's been such an amazing experience. Like the gameplay for the amount that's there, the combat is really fun. There's some cool new stuff that they added to it. Like they've got co-op chains and, and final strikes and stuff like that. So like you, you and another party member that are at a certain amount of zeal, as it were, which is like a gauge to determine how quick until you sort of uh, release your full power and, and you get a boost to your stats. Anyone uh, close by, you can team up to take on an enemy and there's like timing attacks and stuff like that sort of uh, uh, sort of elements that I, I, I've gotten super into and I've gotten a lot better in this game than Mask of Deception. I was Apparently, I was like I said. I, I not only did I miss like the uh, equipment that I could be uh, adding to my characters, I also was screwing about a lot of the mechanics. 
uh, but the couple of, two of the coolest things I think about that they added to Mask of Truth was one, what I already talked about, the experience points, but also they added a whole new sort of tutorialization system. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask, like it seems like since you seems like you missed like quite a bit in the in like the other game, like was it better about tutorializing you yeah. in this game? Would you say it's the fault of like you or the game in, in that sense? Like <laughs> did they really did they really like kinda lean into like, hey, this is how this mechanic works, or like they just totally like didn't explain it that well. I mean, it's definitely part of me and that I probably wasn't paying attention as much as I should have, but I felt like Mask of Deception um, sort of just threw it at you and made you go ahead. With this game, it's way more about easing you into the mechanics because important to remember, like I said, this was like a year apart, and so they had time to work on it. For us in America, it's like a few months, so whatever. Like You probably wouldn't be able to tell. Um, One of the new things they added was a thing called Munichika's Trials, which Munichika is one of the characters. She's like the guard of the princess of the story, the liege, as uh, as it were. So uh, in that, in the the trials, you're supposed to complete a series of challenges under uh, strict restrictions that you've got to deal with and they get progressively more difficult but what they do is that they go through all the important characters of the game like uh, i would say like all the core party members so like it it tells you how to use their uh own unique attacks that they've got their own unique skills that they have because there's a lot of these different things like they've got elements that you've got to work against uh like you know once a particular element is stronger than the other and there's like a circle that you have to follow to uh keep track of kind of like fire emblem or something like that um but also they've got buffs and debuffs and uh the combos that they create there's like a a specific part of the combo if you want to stop this enemy from countering against you you want to stop at a specific point so that it sort of cancels out that person's counter and then um it's got timing even if like so what happens that each um I'm not trying to make this too complicated, but if you, if you can kind of follow me for a moment here, that so say you've got a combo that's got five different attacks. Each of those attacks starts off with this big circle, gr- like shrinking down to meet with another circle. So you're supposed to time the button press and tap it right when those two circles meet. So you guys have probably played like you know timing-based combat yeah. systems before. Uh-huh. But the thing is that it doesn't stop there. So not only are you paying attention to that. And then it continues to do that whole like a big circle to small circle going through all the five moves that I just talked about. In between that, the character is doing these animations. And so like um, they might strike once when the circles hit each other, but they might, as part of the animation, strike again. If you time your button pressing to the animations and not what you're seeing so much on the screen, it does an initial critical attack. So it gets awesome. super deep about it, like, and to a point that I don't know if that exists in the Mask Conception. Maybe it did, but it never explained it. So I was kind of lost with that. So you could be like going from like instead of doing like five attacks if you just followed it, you'd be doing ten or twelve attacks in a row, and that would like completely like decimate an enemy. If you just instead of you just followed the thing like you normally would, yeah. so that's what in terms of like if you missed a mechanic, I think everybody has like you know mm-hmm. a realization where they might have played like in the entirety of a game, not realizing they could have done this one thing that oh, might have made things a lot easier. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, because we, of course, like <laughs> niche of our side, like RPGs all have like you know their weird, crazy, maybe secret gimmicks at times. So, yeah, yeah. like, I, like kind of going from one RPG to another. It's, sometimes it's tough to like, kind of wrap your head around yeah. a certain mechanic because you've, you're you used to a certain way a, like a game uh, is designed. Like, say, SRPGs, for example. Like, the like say, Super Robot Wars is totally different 
from say like how this game works or how oh, I'm sure you know is. Fire em- Fire Emblem <laughs> versus you, yeah. you know like they're they're all designed in like very different ways even though they're all strategy RPGs but all their mechanics are totally different so okay you're kind of like you you're used to one way of playing and then there's just another and then if they don't really tell you in your face how to do it it's easy to miss it for sure yeah and uh but aside from that too i think another great addition is the mock battles so what it is is that you have it's your particular party uh and you choose certain characters to be on the on team one and the other part of the party uh being on uh team two and they can fight against each other everyone gets experience from that battle it just uh, the if you win you also get bonus points as well on top wait, of wait, it wait 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 Mm-hmm. If you win, but you have like your own team fighting your own team, how do you win or lose? Everyone gets experience no matter what. It's just whether if you oh. particularly win, because what, it's like a training ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's mm-hmm. a training ground, yeah. and so this is a great way to like get experience points. And it and the higher level the character is, if you attack that particular enemy, the more experience points you get. So like say my character is level twenty, but the person I'm fighting is level fifty. If my level twenty attacks him, I get way more experience than I would if the other way around. So, and, and, you know, that's just from any RPG, really, right? Like an MMO or something like that. Like, if you attack a really hard enemy and you beat it, you get a lot of experience out of it. Out of it. So, um, it's that, yeah, it's that. The thing, though, is that it, if it's not so much about you losing it's, and getting bonus points. It's that the pers- the people that you chose on Team 1, your team that you're actually controlling, you get bonus points. So, like, you could kind of rotate the characters around, if you get what I'm saying. So, yeah. like, the, yeah, whoever the winning team is. So, those particular party members get more bonus. So, it's just another great way to build up your party without relying so much on what was in the original game, Mass Conception, was the Dream Arena, which was the post-game. Like, there were, like, 16 battles that you'd fight of, like, certain, like... It was, like, scenarios about, like, certain enemies appearing and all that stuff. And it had some of the goofiest writing of the whole series, I think, uh, to that point. Uh, a lot of innuendos and stuff like that. But that was it. And, and there was free battles as well. But that wasn't really that helpful either because, like, if you're way over level and you're trying to go back to an early part of the game, unless you want to switch to hard difficulty or something like that, it just didn't didn't do a whole lot. So with this, it's way better about giving you opportunities to level up your characters and getting to really know about the learn about the basics and the more advanced uh, mechanics of the game. So in all facets, it's definitely a much better game than Mask of Deception was, but they're both so great uh, in what they do. And as a cohesive whole, uh, the storytelling in both Deception and Truth has been such an amazing thing, and I talked about it with Deception as well. I think it's kind of the, one of the best localizations that I've ever seen in a, in a game in years. Uh, definitely probably way better than what Persona 5 got, which is odd to think about, that Oto Armano, the people that worked on this game, got more... Uh, got had seemed to have like a, had a lot more fun working on this game, but I can't speak of experience from Persona Five. I haven't played it, so I I don't mean to like bash that game unnecessarily. Just from what I've heard about it, because we talked about that and Axis Zero having a great localization. It seems like Atlas is putting way more effort into it, and I'm excited to see how this Mask of Truth sort of winds up. And you'll see that the rest of that in my review. Yeah, I also wanted like bring it up since you mentioned it that like the correction that we yeah we definitely were wrong like Atlas themselves didn't localize Yakuza was like another team yeah yeah say, yeah uh, that uh yeah I yeah, think yeah, what it was. it was I don't remember the team name but like Atlas has like a person who kind of works for Atlas and kind of oversees and kind of like double checks the work that the 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 most for of accuracy. the work. Yeah that like another group does like the lion's share of the localization. I, I unfortunately can't remember their name. Yeah. Um, the Atlas guy is trigger red. Yeah. On Twitter. Um, like he 
actually works for Atlas, I believe. And but he kind of like is overseeing this whole other group. <laughs> so uh -huh. yeah. So it's a little bit different than these in-house localizations. Um, but like even I, like even Caligula, which is a terrible game. Like even that, I thought had like obviously I don't I can't comment on like translation from Japanese to English if it was like accurate or valid or whatever. But like in terms of like the the English that was presented, I thought was you know perfectly good just that game was crap <laughs> so uh -huh. yeah yeah whereas like persona 5 sometimes i just see some lines for that and it's just like this doesn't even sound like good grammar in english like not even not even caring that it's a translation it just doesn't seem like good english grammar i so, think that's we were talking like about this so yeah i think we were talking about this last week and that persona 5 had multiple editors uh yeah, compared to like kinda... Yeah, and uh, I forget what the game we were talking about that also had that problem. Maybe Josh, you remember what James is talking uh, about? Man, I forgot. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. It was like, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was talking about another but, game. Uh, it's just, it's just that you know, like it's, it's weird to think about. Oh, easy. It's hard to say. Of course, easy. Yeah, that yeah. was the thing. Yeah, I don't know if we were doing EC or another game for. It, I know it was, it was about EC because I remember he's talking yeah. about like multiple editors and about the story, yeah. the localization yeah. issues we were talking about. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. It, but like. Just on credits list alone, and how like the quantity of editors, it's it's so it's always going to be about the final product. You can't make the final say based on like what a credits list says, you know, or how yeah. the quantity of editors. Of it's all it's all about you know, does it does this flow well in English? The, the, yeah. the can I understand this? Does the, the does this make sense to context what's happening? Like we talked about, uh, I think either last week or the week before, you know, Summon Night Six, uh, and like the history of the Summon Night series, are like you know there will be just sometimes the, like like the the so, Japanese script is thrown out because yeah, like Summon Night Five, mm -hmm. like I haven't played many um, uh, working design games, but mm -hmm. I could tell like some it's of that, that dialogue is extremely like colorful and creative i think yes like and it's that's, like that's it's, like is. i found it i found it fun to like read and play but then you kind of realize after the fact like oh this is actually like totally different from what the Japanese <laughs> was like, entirely like even though i thought it was like pretty colorful and fun and like it made sense to me and like what they were presenting in terms of like like I didn't feel like there was anything I was missing, like, you know, just the way it was presented. But then, like, oh, I didn't even realize, like, it's, like, in Japanese, they're talking about something something literally totally different here. Like, that's so, that's the yeah, Lunar when series, comes yeah. out, When Summon Night 6 comes out, like, I just kind of have to, like, I, I haven't played this in Japanese. I don't know what it's like, but I just kind of have to assume that, like, you know, kind of within the back of my mind, like, hmm. I wonder. Yeah, just just imagine. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to uh, extend this localization talk for too long, since yeah. we went over it a lot last week. But I, I always, you know, it's a lot of culture shock. Say, like people who, uh, you know, can uh, speak and read Japanese. Like if they turn on Japanese voices with English text, you know, what they're saying is totally different from what that's actually reading. Think about it. Like for us, if uh, if we're good with like we know English, but we're also we also can read and speak Spanish. Uh, for instance, like if there's English voices and we reread like the Spanish text, it's like, oh shit, what they're saying is totally different from what they're actually seeing yeah. in the dialogue box, you know? It's like it that, that's that's it creates a very very harsh cognitive distance. Like, what the what am I supposed to make of this scene yeah. if there's two different languages that say totally different things? Yeah, and we're not language. we're not just talking about like from what I saw with Summer Night Five, like like small little edits just for flow mm -hmm. or whatever it was like totally yeah. different like, yeah like i remember exactly. there's this one example where like one of the characters is like talking about his brother in one scene and then like in english like the brother doesn't come up at all and it's just like wait like that <laughs> yeah. actually like introduced something here like mm -hmm. <laughs> 
why did that's no (laughs) that's that's definitely i mean working designs that's sort of their that's that that's the trademark with the lunar series with um yeah with all the games they actually localized it was always about having a lot of fun with the localization and not relying too heavily on the japanese side because it's they kind of made it their own and i think i do think obviously like some creativity is like needed to like say the same ideas in english but yeah there's there's always that line (laughs) people would take it as like a form of censorship and i think that's ridiculous like it's it's their doing they did what they wanted to so uh, i think uh, you know people kind of jumped on that for a little bit but it's like back in the 90s this was the norm um actually uh actually reminded me that gaging works uh note announced on twitter yesterday that the beta version of summer night six had passed uh sony qa and so now he's just waiting for the ps4 version and then we'll finally get a release date for you're almost there gaging works you're almost there once again originally planned to release in february yep uh long journey february or maybe it was actually before then i think i actually got delayed before from 2016 yeah i was like remember when remember when works announced uh Classic Heroes 3? Yeah, they announced it with Summer Night 6. So that's yeah, they, kind of a... No, they announced Classic Heroes 3 with Summer Night 5. That's been that right. long. That's, <laughs> I mean, I, I assume like they got the rights to Summer Night 6, so of course priorities yeah. won over. Like They know that this could be the bigger thing, but like I expect Classic Heroes right. 3 to be like sort of a PC exclusive at this point. Because honestly, a 2020 release. Maybe. Uh, I don't know anyone who's looking forward to a new Classic Heroes, but that's... I, I mean, no one knows what that game even is, no. probably. It's just, it's just, I just remember, like, they announced it, and then they just kind of... That game is so old now. It's like five, yeah. six years old now, because it was a PSP game. So yeah. I don't even know, like, what that's supposed to be. Um, but, you know, I, I think that uh, Summon at 6, I'm, I'm still really looking forward to it. I got to play it at E3 a couple years, like a year ago, and so I'm still interested in it, but... Um, We'll find out what's going to happen there. It just reminded me about that. So let's get into news. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say here, you know, what's a game that like I heard a lot about until it actually released, The Lost Child. Oh yeah. yes, we actually uh, <laughs> Adam picked this up for us, and that uh, apparently Nice America had accidentally posted their trailer too early, and then they quickly got rid of it, but not before Adam's sort of tracker caught wind of it. <laughs> so yeah, so. Um, the Lost Child is another dungeon RPG. I was talking about those earlier. Yeah. Um, so that kind of alone is like has me interested in it enough. Like I don't even know anything about the game really, other than it's a dungeon RPG. Yeah, it's that's a like the El Shaddai dude. Successor to mm-hmm. El Shaddai, mm-hmm. which is like like I'm not even totally familiar with what El Shaddai was. It was a PS3, Xbox 360 like action game. Action game. Yeah, yeah. it's like an action sort of platforming with uh, yeah. kind of a character action game. Yeah. Yeah, and then like yeah. even one of the characters like shows up in this new lost child game they're like a god it's it's like lucifer but not lucifer it's like lucifer or something yeah it's so, lucifer yeah. Mm-hmm. and they yeah. had great genes uh quickly the story was like uh this guy who was like a down on his luck so i think it was like a it's just a regular like a journalist blue, like a journalist blue collar kind of guy oh uh something like that. Uh, blue collar like white collar um he almost got hit by a train but he got pulled at the last moment and this girl is like this pandora's box and all these things happen it's it's definitely a way different style like you said it's a dungeon crawler with sort of an anime class of hero style to it it does bit. seem a little bit smt inspired in yeah. terms that the oh, monsters yeah. like a bunch of gods and goddesses from all sorts of different um you know mythologies and things like that um and yeah. there was even a four gamer interview. I didn't really get to look at it, but I know that uh, Koneko from Atlas, old Atlas, like made some comments on it. 
Um, he's not involved at all, but I, I remember seeing that, but I never got around to looking into it. But yeah, it definitely seems like a little bit SMT inspired in terms of, at least in terms of like monster design, um, which Kaneko did a bunch of. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it looks like another dungeon RPG with an anime style. Um, it released in Japan like late August. You know, it's not it's not going to be a popular genre in general, but I have well, no what idea. What platforms is this coming out for? PS4, PS4 and, and Vita. Vita. Okay. Um, sometimes right. East America does those PC releases too, but they have they didn't announce one here. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah. reading like the, the story synopsis for this, and this this sounds anime as fuck. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah. Um, that's uh, mm. that's supposed to be sometime next year, and yeah, it just it kind of flies in the face of the original one's design. So I don't know if like any of the fans of El Shaddai are that interested. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird how they really like they, they 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 kind of build it as a spiritual successor, but it's like a totally different genre. It's it's like that's weird. It's the same creator, <laughs> yeah. and that's about it. Like yeah. a lot of the team is uh, some of the team members are still there, but like yeah, it's. Yeah. It's Going just, from an I, action game to a dungeon RPG—that's a pretty stark difference. It's, it's like, very abrasive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think the weirdest thing about it is like that. Like they had like a, a pretty healthy marketing campaign. I saw a lot of you know uh, info coming out for it consistent. And then like when it came out, like I st- all the all the friends that I know like import Japanese scenes, like I heard for nothing about this game after its oh. release at all. No, I was I I, I remember seeing like when I was looking up uh, RPG birthdays, I was like, oh, that's right, Lost Child's out today because I saw the date. I'm like, this is. Wow, it just kind of showed up, didn't it? <laughs> Without any fanfare. So yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of interested to see, like, because I know it has SMT uh, inspirations, obviously very, very obvious. So I, I'll probably check it out, but I don't know if I'll stick with it. You're gonna review that for us? Is what you're saying? <laughs> I, Adam, Adam loves Dungeon RPGs. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Adam, you like it? You love it? Uh, Speaking of Shimagami <laughs> Tensei, though, they also uh, Atlas specifically um, announced oh, Japan. Sega. 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 Yeah. Atlas doesn't seem to be involved. <laughs> no, they don't actually. Right? Yeah, I totally forgot. That's it's definitely more like a Sega thing, which you know, uh, it's they announced a new mobile game, uh, which you know we kind of got some experience with. Uh, the series has got some experience with mobile games. I mean, they did localize. Uh, they did make a remaster or whatever it is uh, of the first Shimagami Tensei for mobile as well, but. But this is supposed to be a whole new game. Yeah, this is uh, DX2 or D Cross 2 Shin Megami Tensei Liberation for iOS and Android. Uh, only announced for Japan at the moment. Uh, not, not much info. This does have a, a little uh, faction thing the Liberators uh, versus the Acolytes. And they're going to do like a more formal reveal uh, during Tokyo Game Show. Yeah. But it's it, all we know right now, it's an RPG. Uh, for that, um, Sega is handling development on this. I think I don't know. I don't know how much Atlas has the, their hands on this, or if it's only Sega. I thought I read uh, that it was basically just Sega and Atlas. Basically, you know, just kind of know, they have like access to, they have access to the brand SMT mm-hmm. like monsters yeah, or yeah. whatever. But like they're not actually yeah. developing it. It's Sega somewhere else. Yeah, somewhere the, the only the only thing Sega. the only real info out there right now is some from its scans and like a little very teaser trailer uh, area yeah. at uh, mega screens at Akihabara <laughs> uh, with some black and white, you know, demon models, but you know, we'll see we'll see uh, what that happens. The the more interesting news I think is uh, next week Arxis uh, System Works is having a stream that's showing off the next uh I don't know if it's only persona character or other characters for their Blaze Blue uh cross tag battle game. Yeah. Is that, is that and, the how, how the, do you pronounce it? R W B Y or whatever. Yeah, it has the it has, yeah, it has the Ruby. Slash. Yeah, yeah, it has Blaze Blue, Persona, Four Arena, Undernight in Birth, and Ruby. 
uh, crossover thing. And the, the 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 neat thing about this is that stream uh, airs on September fifteenth, and September fifteenth was the Japanese release of Persona Five. Yep, the same day, so, and we're one year later. It's weird how it's been a year, right? It's just... yeah. I mean, time fucking flies. So people are like, it's totally me a fucking Persona Five character. I'm like. I'd be kind of psyched to see if there would actually, actually was a Persona Five character. I kind of. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't really be surprising that if like the Persona it, Five MC showed up, right? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if it'd be so surprising, but it'd be it because it seems like it'd be such an easy project to just have like the assets from like those games Arena, all mashed up into one game. Games, yeah. yeah, because they, they'd have to make they have to make a, like a new two D sprite for a Persona Persona Five. It's like. Uh, so yeah. people are kind of just wondering, it's like how much effort they're actually going to put in this project, or if it's going to be like some MVC two uh, situation. It's like they're just fucking ripping out sprites from other games and just mashing it up together. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like I I, I kind of think that it might be like the core party from five and four are all going to be there. So in order to avoid like favorites or something like that, like because I'm sure it bummed people out if all they got was like the main characters of four and five and that's it. Like that's the whole crew because yeah, you know we, we, all the yeah, we don't know. Games have got a huge. Uh, I mean, not the Guilty Gear games, but the Blaze Blue games have like yeah. huge casts. So, like, mm-hmm. I would assume that we'll so, get all the main who characters. Knows? Who knows what the scope of this game is? Because yeah. it's, it's very easy to think that's. Uh, it'd be like if you were to like combine all the actual cast of the characters, you'd be easily looking over fifty. So, people are just wondering like how how many characters are actually to be in this? There is the it, it is a Blaze Blue game first and foremost, so we might just see the entire Blaze Blue uh, roster on there too. Man, that'd be kind of, that'd be kind of insane. There's <laughs> that, that that roster is nuts already. Yeah. They they just added a new character. You just added uh, Jubei to the cast recently. That was Who, yeah the same day they announced uh, the tag b- battle tag. Yeah, so yeah, but that the actual like update implementation is now out on consoles for that for that game. As someone who's a neophyte, who is Jubei? The cat. Uh, it's yeah. It's like cat. it's a cat character. It's like a mentor overpowered. Blaze blue. Blaze blue. blue. Okay. Yeah. He's he's been there since the beginning, but he's had like a, a big following, and the the whole Blaze blue fandom ever since the first game has always wanted him to be like super playable because he was like a, a really badass character in that story. Why? And... Why did they ever add him? Like up to this point, like I, I always was confused because he seemed like such a core character in that story, and it, they just never added him. I don't know. Oh, why. Then, the, hey, they pulled out the cards. Like, okay, we need to sell more copies. We need like activity in the round. Yeah, this game they again. could have announced a new game with this character, but no, he's like DLC for the most recent one. So like, it's okay, all right. Apparently, still has a very active community. So true, true. Rock but, on. Like, it's it's it was just such a weird thing. Like, I yeah. was expect like it was like an arcade edition or something, but oh well. It's already on arcades, so it's another update for them. Well, speaking <laughs> of character updates, I like to start on my transitions by speaking of because that just seems to work. Uh, okay. They also shared, uh, uh, excuse me, Nintendo shared more details about Fire Emblem Warriors and this whole new class change system, along with like other additional characters that they add to the story. I mean, it's basically the characters so far are basically Marth plus the Awakening like main fates characters fates, yeah and then like probably... the fates like literally every of the every one of the brother and sister characters from fates is in the game so it's like <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not like su- it's not like surprise like in the story yeah right so I, I think they're done with fates like unveiling characters yeah, there, I think there wouldn't the be last any of the fates characters that would really make sense they have all the brothers and sisters so i, I think i think the only other one would be Az- azura oh, yeah, Azura because she's like you know the main heroine but yeah um yeah. they added so sakura if they, uh, yeah they they most recently added um sakura and, and elise elise was announced a little bit earlier but like the yeah. two young sisters and then they already had they already had male and female robin where in the story mode male robin is the one that participates and female robin is kind of like just kind of like the 
the bonus character for the additional modes. And it's kind of now flipped for Corrin, where female Corrin participates in the story stuff, and then male Corrin's kind of like the, you know, the option for the bonus modes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's so like relationships kinda... and stuff like that, too. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, so there's no characters from, like, the GBA games or uh, the Atelier series. <laughs> they, I... they, they're, they're telling us there will be more Shadow Dragon characters. I feel like Tiki is a given because she has an amiibo, but yeah. we don't know who else from Shadow Dragon. <laughs> I mean, Kata slash Sheeta, whatever her English name is, might make sense. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, the sword they, they also... Marl, Navar. Yeah. Oh yeah, Navar. That's right. I, I think the, the interesting thing is they finally unveiled like there's a history mode uh, coming to Fire Emblem Warriors, and they'll actually have like 2D grid maps in that mode. Cool, cool. Yeah, you like move on a grid, and then like uh, rather than like in a Fire Emblem game where it does you know the normal dice roll percentage attack, you know you actually go into like a miniature. Oh, uh, the, the, the kind of yeah. that kind of reminds me of uh, Dynasty Warriors God Seekers. Which yeah, is, I remember like not that, the. Yeah. I remember that game not being good. No, no, it, no it was it was, <laughs> a, it was a PS4. It was a very early this year a PS4. I think it came to other platforms oh. game, and it had like a strategy RPG interface. But like when you wanted to attack an enemy, it like phased into like a, a, a typical third person Dynasty Warriors style view, and something happened and then you gain a successful attack on an enemy i just heard like the flow of that game is not did great. you do you remember dynasty tactics <laughs> oh yeah I, I think i i remember i sold that back uh to but i remember enjoying that game was, i think i rented it or i had it it was like i'm oh, sorry yeah i remember it was on my shelf at one point it was like that like the two games that, I, that came to mind was that and that weird koei tecmo pokemon game i forget what that game was called but, like that game oh out. was that the Pokemon Conquest? Yeah, Pokemon Conquest. Like, that was also sort of the same design about that. So, I just uh, I just think this is... It's crazy to see, like, uh, that history mode. I think that's, like... For me, I think, personally, that's kind of, like, the coolest addition they've made so far. Yeah, it's a very you kind of get, like, thing, yeah. You get, like, an abridged version of, like, the, the Fates and Awakening stories in it. Like, they, they showed off um, a Validar from Awakening. And there's also Garnef like... from the first mm-hmm. Shadow Dragon. Like it, yeah. a very different type of game, but Tokyo Mirage Sessions. One of my favorite parts about it was like this. It was kind of like late in the game, this retelling of Shadow Dragon. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Kind of like in this weird like history mural type boss battle thing that was going on, and that was you know kind of a nifty little like thing to kind of see the story in a different light. So this is kind of probably the same thing, kind of highlighting Shadow Dragon, Awakening, and Fates. And, I kind of hope know. they do a re-release for for Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah, on Switch. that'd be really cool. <laughs> I think that game does, kind of deserves a second chance. Yes, it. I mean, it came out so late. It, so it needs a, it needs a turbo mode. That's what yeah. it needs. I re- I remember you asked me when I had played it, and I don't know if you have played it since then. Like, does your character ever get faster? And I was like, I was really hoping you would, but he doesn't. He, he always just kind of. <laughs> I was like to say that I really need you to like say yes on this question. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. so they also also some things you might kind of expect. There's going to be class changes, so somehow you can gain master seals, which will change your character's appearance and some abilities probably um, on the field. Um, you know, it's kind of expected for a Fire Emblem spinoff. There's, and there's going to be like a weapon system where you can give like certain weapons to the characters that they'll have certain effects and that's expected and then if you get so many ko's with certain weapons you can unlock different abilities and all that good stuff 
So. I uh, this game will also have something like uh, Neo. I think it was pretty either in PAX or Gamescom. Where it'll have modes where either you can play at 1080p uh, 30 FPS or 720 60fps for Fire Emblem. That reminds Warriors. me that this game is coming out to 3DS. New, yeah. 3DS. Oh yeah, and new like, 3DS. Yep. Like I, I thought Hyrule Warriors on Wii U and 3DS is kind of weird enough, and now this is like Switch 3DS. I don't know. Yeah, Switch 3DS. It's like, Quest uh, 11, right? gonna buy the 3DS version? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it's, like I said, it's Dragon Quest 11, right? So I wonder if they'll do anything different for the 3DS version. That's I haven't seen any real gameplay for it though. But I would. I don't think I haven't shown I've it. never seen a really that great uh, portable version of those games, so I don't know. Right. It's, Is it? Yeah. yeah, it's just kind of probably not the ideal. <laughs> Yeah. It's okay. No, like uh, everyone, that Switch is like that's what it is. Switch is gonna overshadow probably yeah. the 3DS version, and everyone's okay with that because like Switch is such a great device. <laughs> I'm still playing fucking Garo on my Switch. Like every time I boot up my Switch before I like put it to sleep mode, I feel like I have to turn on Garo at least once. That's on that. That makes sense. I mean, obviously, like it's so easy Played to yeah, <laughs> just yeah. just to do something like that. Uh, actually, sort of. Breaking news a little bit here. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. this is from Gath. Like Lickspear, the developer behind that game, uh, the the developers were talking about that Nintendo might be working on a system for achievements and leaderboards uh, for their games. So, finally, <laughs> it's like it's like a kind of a duh thing, but they just haven't made it so far, uh, just yet. So I was thinking, if they do it for that, it makes me wonder if they're going to add that support because they already added. Um, uh, they're talking about you know multiplayer mode, uh, multiplayer features for the Super Nintendo games, which of course already uh, you can get that through emulators. But now it's the idea of adding achievements to these old games, like retroactive achievements, would be pretty cool. I think that um, that also like some I forget uh, some group already added achievements to these old games through emulators. So like having that be official would be a pretty cool thing. I don't know if you guys care a lot about achievements, but that's I, I used to I, when they were first I unveiled. I think they can be. Like, it Supported. can be a small incentive to like do bonus content or whatever. But you or know, just, sometimes you know, just... like, hey, I beat it! Yeah, I got something yeah. to show for it. You know, I, I mean, at this point, if you think about the switches, like <laughs> interactions with friends, it's so bare bones that like I guess yeah. anything would uh, they need to add on more to that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not so far. I'm to still think most that that's most interested in virtual console. Like, I have a mm-hmm. bunch of so I have I don't I no longer have a a, a, a an original Wii. Mine was actually stolen a while back. But oh, I have yeah. a, I have a bunch of virtual console games on my Wii U, both Wii eShop on Wii U and Wii U eShop. And it's just kind of like, it'd be really nice if I could just somehow, somehow get that to the Switch. It makes sense you know? to do the Wii one because you have motion uh, controls now. That is again, true. like that, and and that, yeah. and that was kind of like a weird thing for the Wii where you have to get like another Wii controller to actually control it on your Wii U. So right now I have you know all these. Wii- eShop games kind of on my Wii U, which is, you know, my Wii U is basically, uh, it's, I mean, I have a, an eShop machine plus like a few of those Wii U games like Tokyo Mirage Sessions, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be nice if I could get those to switch. And I just, I'm really curious how they do virtual console in eShop. And we've talked about this before and just kind of like, I want no to see I, it. I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine I'll do a lot of Wii U and maybe re-releases yeah, on the next year. I, I, I think there's going to be an avalanche of that. Yeah. No, they're going to do the GameCube thing for a GameCube a classic. No, that's... <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, that seems like a, a given at this point, but, like, that's the same as them doing, like, uh, cutting off the, uh, uh, the, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, the, the run of the Super Nintendo Classic and the, and the regular Nintendo Classic because of the Virtual Console. So, like, I would, 
I'd be okay with that. But like GameCube had some good games too, so I'd love to see. I feel I feel like the, the classic 3. series. Let's they're, bring the card they're, they're gonna, game back. They're, they're gonna <laughs> cut. They're gonna cut the classic series. It's an amazing game. Yes. Oh man, I love that game. Sorry, we're talking over Josh because we care a lot about card-based battle games. So, yes. <laughs> you know us. No, I'm just saying your virtual console hopes and dreams. I think they'll start with the Wii on the Switch because the because you do 64 and GameCube for the classic series. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, so far all that we know about the virtual console is like there's like two regular Nintendo games that are going to be on it. I think it was like Balloon Fight Balloon. and. Mm-hmm. I forget, like, Mario Brothers, something like that. Like, all they showed was, like, two games, and it was, like, a part of a promo. So we don't even know what actually is going to be in there. I don't, so. even, I don't even remember what you're talking about. Like, I didn't yeah. know they showed anything. Well, no, so, it's when they announced... They uh, mentioned it. When they announced the, when they first announced the online... The account. Yeah. Or the, the online. Yeah, yeah. The, the cost of it. Like, part of it was that they announced that they got rid of the whole idea of having monthly rotation. Oh, yeah, I remember models. that. Yeah, Where the library like, stuff. You, would, you could, like... What was it? You could like have a demo for a month, and then like once it was over, you had to pay for it or something. Yep, yep exactly. Yeah, they got rid of that. So it's kind of funny how they've like but... announced they've gotten rid of stuff already, and still hasn't been released in any form. Yeah, it's okay. They, 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 you still have the Nintendo app uh, out there with the. Uh, if you want to do uh, Splatoon two voice chat, they still have that. That's at least it's free for now, but then of course in January they're gonna start charging for it. But like it's it's pretty clear that they don't even know what they're gonna do. So yeah, they're I feel like they're gonna have to like around December time they're gonna release uh, like a whole revision of their system. That's that's pretty much it <laughs> on, on their online infrastructure. I just I just hope that yeah, it's like because the Switch obviously is a great system, especially as you were talking about playing Guru Mark of the Wolves on your Switch while you're playing a different game. Like just having that that convenience is great, and being able to dock it if you want to have the full experience. Uh, it's obviously a competitive advantage against the other consoles because yeah, you just can't take a powerful system with you. Like I mean, that. you 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 can't you can't go you can't even make a remark on a game without two seconds of sun saying, "Hey, where's the Switch version? Is this for Switch? Can I have a Switch port, please?" Yeah. Like everyone wants the, all the games on this. Thing. I like I like one of the comments someone say like the people calling the Switch like the first portable home console, but then like the GameCube had a handle, <laughs> so they yeah, compared like, it to um, that. So that's like yeah. the that was the fun thing. Um, I, I, I think the whole gimmick of the of this like console just like it just sparked everyone to to action, you know. Like it just it just works somehow. Like it was the right the right place, right time, and it it's powerful enough to support the, that that kind of uh, it, portable it, experience. It did the thing that I think would let people down about the Vita because like they obviously like Sony saw it as a a portable system that played your PlayStation your console games like it, your your regular home console games, but like the best games on the Vita are not those types of games. And so, like, the the whole idea what Sony was trying to push forward, like, the third parties went around it, and they had much better experience. And Sony just kind of gave up on it because they still figured, oh, people just want these console games. Uh, whereas, yeah, Nintendo seems to have gotten it right. And so, uh, well... When do, we, yeah. when do we think is the last, like, Vita release for the for the thing. Like, how long do you think that will we stop like seeing Vita releases? Because next year we'll still have Vita releases. Well, we like, saw PSP child. releases in 2015. This is true. <laughs> I mean, they were, the thing is, they were digital, and that's so, that's okay, I guess. But like, I mean, some of them had like a physical like special version or whatever. But like, people still released PSP games, kind of like to be played on Vita. So like, if Vita doesn't have a successor that can play Vita games. You know, it's a little different, but well, I think it's it's important to point out. But too, there are like, Vita games coming out next year, like The Lost Child, for instance, is one. I mean, let's see. It, one I, I, that's the only one I know because that's the only one we we actually mentioned. Well, but no, Digimon I, Story. 
Oh, okay. There's All other right. games, but I, I think it's important to point out. Do you mean um, original release or localization? Because that's a totally different thing. Because if you're talking about, yeah. like, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just like, I, I just mean like, when will be the last like new release that like you know of of a Vita game overseas? There's also a couple, or there's a sorry, just looking. Like, uh, co-realized like future blessings is an Otome game. Be a, there was a new game that was just announced for Vita, right? Like a PS4. Like if, if, you, if you look at if you look at like the release date for like say US and Europe and uh, other countries, like which will be the year where you see there's gonna be no new Vita releases. Much like I don't see like any new like say PlayStation Two releases anymore. Well, the Vita's still big in Japan, so like I don't expect that to be done anytime soon. It will just take when Sony announces a new handheld platform that's uh, you know compelling enough to for them to like kind of abandon the Vita. But at this point, but, the, but the do PSP you th- but do you think so many units that that's why I kept making games for it. So do you think? But do you think like the like localizations will be consistent for it? because if, yeah. if you think about it, like uh, they've already dropped like say the Vita version of like Knights of Azure because it was garbage. Vita yeah. and, uh, well, I mean, like you know, there you'll be like there'll be localizations that like they had Vita versions in Japan, but they're gonna drop it here. Uh, there was Star Ocean uh, for also. I would say uh, it'd still be a great place for indie games. Actually, that was PS3, not PS4. For indie oh, games, because Vita. Undertale came out on the PS4 and Vita. So, like, it's still a great place for that kind of stuff. As far as, like, big titles like that, no. I think uh, other than, like, visual novels and stuff like that, you'll see it dry up pretty quick. Especially if, like I said, if Sony announced a new platform. Because it does seem like a lot of Japanese developers are moving over to the Switch for that same experience. Because, of course, they announced, like, Disgaea... They got the new um, Atelier game coming out for the for the Switch as well. If we're talking Koei Tecmo, so like that's they seem to find their their oh yeah like, Nintendo's taking over their stuff. For his, uh, not Switch, it's Vita. Oh yeah, PS4 plus PC. I'm sorry. What yeah. was what was it? I was sorry. I was looking. I was still thinking about <laughs> Vita games <laughs> releasing next year, and mm-hmm. I just kind of remember that Secret of Mana remake. Even though the original Secret of Mana is on a Nintendo console, the remake will not be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's, PlayStation the... Four. PC and Vita. They got the second deceptive I mean, collection, so honestly, like, come on. Yeah, but... <laughs> I would be more into Still getting that localized than a remake. As much as I like the remake. I'd, second Desetsu get... 3 is the best one. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and That's... that game also has, like, three different paths, and I, I, I played the transition for one of them, so, you know, if it somehow got a miracle localization, I would definitely play it again for one of those other. I'm paths. thinking it's gonna get like uh, one of these uh, remakes, like how Secret of Mana Adventures of Mana. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, that's probably. I think it's the most the, that's the most likely like localization thing to happen toward that. Yeah, because it's it's obviously like that would be the best way to sort of break into the West is with a remake rather than like just straight up localization. Because like if you didn't like it originally, like why are you gonna play it again on 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 a collection? But the two things I think was great is that someone said they played it at PAX. And it was the attention to detail is high. It's like I still saw that soldier walking into a wall, and so that made me that made me laugh. It's like this person uh, remembered uh, in the back, like one of the soldiers in this in the That's castle, cool. just walking into a gate for like uh, bouncing off it. Now I um, don't know if it's exactly the same, but Adventures of Mana, which is a remake of the first Mana game, Final Fantasy Adventure, is so faithful that like literally every bush. Every tree on the world map is in the exact same place. Yeah, I hear it's super, super faithful. It's like literally, like it's not like everything is the same. Uh, Like number of steps from one cave to the next is exactly the same. So (laughs) that's pretty damn cool. Secret of Mana is gonna be like 
the uh, similarly faithful or it's kind of like like well, it's, it's actually the... kind of funny like looking at the screenshots even though it's in a totally different like style like kind of like the nostalgia like oh I remember the snow village and that temple and all that well, <laughs> so... we know it actually will be because using the Super Nintendo game as like the mini map so it's, it actually has yeah, to that's cool. it, right so it has to be like actually all practically one to one just in 3D because that's yeah, it that's I saw that in the tax demo where like the mini map is yeah. like in the style of the of the SNES game, like that's straight up the map. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I would say at least I hope that there's some way to make that more transparent or have it go away because I don't know if I want that taking up so much space on my screen. But like, uh, yeah, yeah, I I think it's I think it's great, and uh, they're sharing more and more details about that. But you know, uh, it just makes me think that uh, Square Enix, as far as the West is concerned, they're not going to release any of their Final Fantasy or Mana games in the West anymore. They have to be remakes. Or a mobile port, or something like that, because like Romancing Saga, or is pocket awesome. edition. Where is Romancing Saga two? It's yeah, Vita. They're still working on it. Supposedly it's coming. And Romancing Saga three, like the, that's the, the plan is that they'll bring both of them, but we'll see. They still had that one guy locked up in the in the back room working on so it. So the last game will be Romancing Saga two for the Vita. That's the answer you want, John. There. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be the last. You know what? That that's that's a damn good game that's, to end off on as your last game. Romancing Saga two, I, a great, under, highly underrated game that no one really played when it came out. Sadly, yeah. I think uh, Screenix even said themselves, barely anyone bought it. Sadly, th- that'd be a fitting end for Vita's last game. Yeah, I would be okay with that. Uh, and... Or, or they could do Saga Scarlet Grace out of nowhere. <sighs> yeah, we talked yeah. about that before. That would, <laughs> that'd be a great game to have. Uh, so, moving into the last piece of news, then this went a lot longer than I thought it would. Uh, Neo, the final DLC was announced, Bloodshed's End, which will be out on September 26th. Um, so, this is something that uh, obviously has been building up all year, and it's been sort of a rocky. DLC schedule because uh, I mean the overarching stuff that they've been doing and both DLCs that have come out so far have been kind of cool but it's kind of not really that interesting in a sense because it's they've both been very short so yeah you've you've, you've been the one keeping up uh, with it out of the whole staff yeah so yeah uh, I'm blanking on what the first DLC was called but the second one was Defiant Honor and that came out back in um, was it late July or something like that? I'm already like forgetting exactly when the time script. Well, say yes. But um, so it's still the whole siege of Osaka and the battle between Toyotomi and Tokugawa, the the forces between the two, and uh, you know, it's it's all about uh, whoever uh, takes over Osaka Castle, uh, pretty much wins Japan and d- dictates how things go from then on. You know, like they're unifying the country, of course. Uh, all they've said so far is that there'll be new yokai, new characters, new guardian spirits, um, and a... Works. Yeah, no new weapons for some reason. Usually when they put out pictures of the DLC, we could kind of see like what potentially the new weapon will be, but they've only shown the new yokai, the new enemies, basically. And they, I don't uh, think they even mention in the, on the PlayStation blog post, they didn't even mention new weapons. They say uh-huh. new missions, new yokai, new characters, new guardian spirits. They don't say new weapons, so... Well, it's just kind of okay, I guess, because they added the Tonfa and the Odachi um, in the past DLCs, and uh, the um, and, and but that's like that, and that was cool, but like they didn't really uh, add anything to the old weapons, like no new skills or whatever, and so uh, it just kind of felt like they kind of dumped it and walked away, and so it I guess it's okay because it means that we don't have to like spend a lot of time trying to build a uh, create a whole new build. In the last DLC, they added a new difficulty level, which added a whole new rank of weapons, like a new color, which was red. And they were pretty damn good. I, I've, uh, 
Josh would know this more than I uh, will uh-huh. kind of appreciate this, is that I saw someone attacking for like... If, okay, I got to look this up because I need to make sure I, I got this right. Yep. I think someone, if I'm not mistaken, was hitting for uh, hundreds of thousands of damage. Yeah, someone hit for 800,000. <laughs> so ew, wait, ew. It's, Oh, no. Uh, and what happened was like, it's like you get stronger the less health you have. So like the person would be killed with one hit. Instead, they're attacking yeah. for like insane amounts of damage. So um, they're compl- like they're killing bosses in one hit. <laughs> that's that's kind of yeah. how it came down to. It was basically a cakewalk. But like you're talking an extremely hard game made all the more difficult in the hardest difficulty level they haven't said they're going to announce like they're going to put up a new difficulty mode which is great yeah there, there, there really is annoying. a new there is a new mode mode called like the abyss like some sort of like a it's like a battleground mode yeah yeah they haven't they, but, uh, they, they, they even said more details later so it's yeah it's probably I, I just like a the... challenge like wave exactly. what if it's a PUBG mode they just like drop like 50 people a battleground you, what if it was like you oh, against man. Like, yokai <laughs> or it's like it's like 100 people against the yokai and you have to survive nah, yeah. to the end you'll have to see you'll have to scramble at the at the middle of this island the circles are going down I would and you're all gonna that would be part of the best because I mean we're talking about a survival game, so like having a hardcore <laughs> RPG like that, design like that, I think that's one of the besides be the ace combat idea that person came up with like a hundred planes. I think that's another great idea. Uh, so because I know like GTA Five started going on that route, so what if every, like you can just you can you can tell that every like big like IP is like looking at battlegrounds, like maybe we should have like a, a mode like that in our own. I mean, I assume like Tom Clancy is going to have a game like that pretty, new, pretty oh, yeah. soon or Far Cry, but. Uh, you know, it's it's just that I'm I'm glad there's not really a new difficulty because the way it works is that you can't just change the, d- the difficulty dynamically. It's like you have to go through the entire game up to the point that you're at now in order to uh, uh, play through the difficulty. So like you have to start from the very beginning of the game, go through normal, start at the beginning, go through hard, start at the beginning. So that was kind of annoying in many respects. Um, and the other problem is that I think that Koei Tecmo and Team Ninja have really put up a lot of players because of their uh, quote-unquote balance changes with each patch and so it kind of yeah it, it seems like they kind of like washed their hands away from it they kind of like yeah. okay we, we put out these changes and it's like okay we're done we don't want to like try to mess out this nightmare anymore and it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing like you know hearing you like go very up and very down and you know in the middle of this game just like you know obviously they're probably going to make a sequel to this so what would be like your two biggest most like requested changes so like a similar situation does not happen again than like well the Neo. i will say i appreciate the fact that with the new patches they sometimes added new battles but a lot of it was just like challenge mode so yeah like now you can face three of the bosses now here's four of the bosses in a row that it was kind of like that um i would mm-hmm. say some of the things i would like to see is that it definitely needs a visual upgrade because it kind of looks nice mm-hmm. but up close it looks kind of ugly and so uh and it could also do with a lot more open uh, open areas, kind of like you know the Dark Souls series, and that some of the most yeah, yeah. best parts were like a, a lot of this is very like corridors and hallways, yeah, and, paths, yeah. and not a lot yeah. of variation on the enemies until like most recently that stuff. So it can mm-hmm. definitely do that with like a facelift and and a bigger, broader open area, like way more um, changes in weather. So that's it's kind of difficult to determine exactly what I would want from this because the DLC sort of added some of that stuff, like winter yeah. areas and whatnot, but. It definitely could do with like yeah, big broader open areas, way more connected rather than like mission base as it is now. So maybe it was like sort of 
not really an open world, but just so you know, Dark Souls, because like this is like Dark Souls 2 and that everything's kind of broken up. Uh, it'd be more like yeah. Dark Souls 1. And having a hub uh, that you can explore would be kind of cool, like a, a little town hub with people you can talk to and interact with. Because you do talk to people in, in Neo, but it's more like you just come across a priest and you talk to them by holding the circle button down and that kind of thing. So I think it's maybe lean more into that stuff would be kind of neat to see uh, and having uh, the more of the RPG mechanics. But I want it to be more, obviously, than just simply copying other games because the great yeah. part about Neo is that it's it kind of created a style of its own, especially with the different stances and the different weapons they had, having very much a loot-driven experience as opposed to Dark Souls where everything's very deliberate in where it's placed. So... I think that they need to work on that and at least work on the scaling because they keep changing the way the game scales and, and the way that uh, things work, that they kind of destroy the community in a sense. And people got yeah, really I, by it. It's like, it's weird. Like they made like very fundamental mental changes, like the, how the calculations work yes. in that game, like like months after release. And it's just like, wait, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, and even above level 230, everything gets scaled down. So yeah. you build a free item, but you like you that, lost just, a bunch of levels. So and yeah. and stuff Bizarre. that like stuff that you can rely on, like the living weapon. It's like that the whole you created a build you spent like dozens of hours making or something like that. It got destroyed with an update, window. and so you had yeah. to completely change your character and ruin. Hopefully, it they learned from that. That's just. <sighs> It was annoying. It was really bad. I mean, I can't fault them necessarily too much for that because, like, they're trying to keep the game balanced. I don't know because it seems like a lot of their choices were like sort of serving towards the multiplayer mode, not the single player, and so it kind of hurt the whole experience as a result. Because, yeah. like, what about the people that don't care about uh, the player versus player mode online? It's uh, the ones that didn't got screwed. So yeah, but what do you think that like uh, in like the next uh, like the sequel would it be better to like just segment like uh, the experiences like have a separate PVE and PVP mode like make keep them independent? It's still the, I mean it's it's the way it is now and it does need to be that way. I just think that uh, but the, but the stats like affect both modes. Like say like the, there was balances for the PVP, but it hurt the PVE because they got the, people found glitches. Yeah. So they got like you know like yeah. So limited so in. whatever happened PVP and inevitably it hurt single player only characters because the updates. I don't, I don't think it's, it deserves to be in this game. Like for me personally, just get rid of PVP. I think it's. Uh-huh. I think it's uh, but that's just my experience because like it's like mm-hmm. Dark Souls and that uh, you know you go online and you fight other players, but that's more like you when you're roaming around and and. And that's kind of like what it is, but it's like you just kind of summon people and you fight them normally. So just having that like built into the game and not kind of beholden to it would be fun enough because... Yeah, so so how about like uh, say like the, the loot that you have, like make the loot, like the stats that you gain kind of not work in PvP mode, just have it for aesthetics and just like keep the all the stat, uh, loot stats only for PvE mode. How about that? I mean, and just like have whatever skill, skills you have equipped on your weapon for PvP mode. It could do that, but honestly, like with Dark Souls, it's like, you know, instead of just like completely rebalancing the entire experience, instead, just get rid of the glitches and the bugs. And, uh-huh. you know, anyone they recognize that have gotten uh, their game leveled up uh, that way are like maybe banned from the online mode or something uh, just uh, something other than just completely ruining the experience because mm. people didn't build their characters the right way and having to spend another 20 30 hours trying to get their characters back on the right track and relearning the way to play the game so there's yeah, there's yeah. a lot of problems with that but uh, i mean i'm sure koei tecmo and team ninja are really thinking about the answer to that so i can't yeah. say for myself like i'm sure they're you know, much smarter people than I am about figuring that mm-hmm. kind of stuff out. Uh, but for all intents, Neo 2 definitely needs to be a much bigger, more uh, expensive game. 
and uh, clearly they're going to have a whole new protagonist because William... More expensive game. Is it like $100? No, expensive. Oh, I thought you said expensive. No, like, expensive. All right. Uh, yeah. As in bigger, broader, uh, uh, mm-hmm. more, more ambitious in a sense. But yeah. uh, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of charm to Neo. It just needs more, uh, you know, variation, dip, more maps, more... Because uh, the maps that are right now, it's like you kind of get tired of going back to the same maps yep. over and over again. There's not a lot of, um, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, range to them. Yeah, you, you mentioned William. Yeah, do you think uh, he should still be the main character? Oh, I think character? they still already said that he won't be. I think, I think they said okay. that a sequel would be a different main. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure yeah. they already said that. So um, there's different things they can do as far as like, because uh, they obviously got all the different weapons stuff like that. Uh, like they've got. Um, you can become sort of a female character, but you have to like get enough. I think I talked about this before. You have to like get enough of a certain currency in the game, yeah. uh, in order to you buy like a skin. and it's hard to buy yeah. skins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, they're, they're just skins for your character, but I think that's great that they actually added them in, to begin with, and so it's it's cool they did that. Uh, but I think it'd be cool if you're able to choose between a male and a female. Like maybe it sucks because. Like I don't really want them to create like an avatar character like the Soul series. Like I'd rather them having a way more story driven experience. Um, I think it's kind of a bummer that they had went with like the white guy saves the world kind of thing with this, because uh, that's kind of what they did here. Like a a, a sailor from Ireland saves Japan <laughs> is what they did here. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to find a way more interesting experience that leans more into the historical parts of Japan. Because right now this is more like a um. They lean a little too much into the popular stories. It'd be kind of cool if they went deeper into like creating an original story instead. Mm. But we'll see. Okay. Uh, but you know, it's we're ways away from that at this point, and I, I trust those guys. I just hope it doesn't take them as long to make Neo Two as it did with Neo. <laughs> Expected on PS Six. It was announced for PS Three uh, originally. I remember that because it was announced around yeah. the time that the PlayStation Three was first announced. This was like two thousand four, two thousand five. So yeah. it was in development longer than Final Fantasy Fifteen, and it finally came out this year. So, uh, but I know that I'm still going to argue for that game, the Game of the Year stuff. I just know that there's definitely better games uh, this year. So, and the DLC and the patch schedule has kind of hurt my overall appreciation for that series deserves to be mentioned though yeah for sure absolutely yeah we'll have that conversation exactly all right so that's it for a podcast uh boy we talked a lot uh we went on a lot of <laughs> tangents which, yes which no, there was not there was not a whole lot to talk about so like yeah. in terms of like current events so that's always kind of I love the conversation. I think that yeah. we didn't have a lot to talk about, but we talked about the things we cared about most. So that that's what I think matters. So uh, for people out there listening, uh, you can where you can find us. You can always find us on rpgsite.net. You can also find us on Twitter at rpgsite, on facebook.com/rpgsitenet, on a YouTube channel youtube.com/rpgsitenet. Uh, finishing up Valkyria Chronicles 3, as I said before, pretty soon here. You can also find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Just search for Tetracast. A permanent Discord link, discord.me slash RPG site, which is growing because we got a lot of more. We're advertising a little bit more, so we're getting more people in there to talk. Um, and yeah, uh, and also on the Discord, I'm, yeah. I, I plan to get Destiny 2 on PC next month. So I might have something a little bit there that maybe we'll organize. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if we can get enough people roped in. Apparently 1.2 1. 2 million people playing Destiny 2 right now, which is insane. It's on more platforms, but that's 
That's pretty damn good. I, I, I hear, I hear it's real good, and like the allure of it is, I kind of need a loot shooter at the moment. I, I feel like I'm itching for that. I want to play it too. It kind of makes me wish that it was cross-platform, so that you know I could just Same get on here. whatever I wanted to. But apparently, Microsoft's still like really working with Sony on Minecraft, so that's kind of the base that we're working with right now. It's really yeah. I, I remember the Rocket League devs also like saying, "Hey, Sony's the one that's saying no to this." It's a switch. They had to flip a switch, and they can do it. But Sony is just you know being difficult, I guess. It's really... I, 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 th- I think I think Rocket League was able to make like uh, the Switch and Xbox One crossplay happen. Yeah, I believe. Oh, it is. Yeah. It, it definitely is. Uh-huh. You said that already. Uh, it's just okay. the Sony's the ones. You know, Sony, mm-hmm. the hubris. My gosh, uh, just hurting things. Please. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, we always like to share where you can find uh, each of us on Twitter. So Josh, where can they find you? You can find me at HD Curran, H D K I R I N. Josh, uh, Josh, Josh, Adam. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, where are you? Okay, Adam, where can they find you? <laughs> it's, it's, I'm on Twitter. I'm you can find him at HD Kern as well. Yes. Weird. We have we share it. Wait, what? Okay, I, I'm yeah, on that's Twitter. It, 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 it. K i n g king, so underscore s e d a. King Satan. Thank you, and you king can find me at Zach Reese as always. So thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you, Adam. Uh, thank you, Josh, for being a part of this podcast. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. This is, once again, the September 9, 2017 edition, 18 years after 9999. Dreamcast, it always lives forever in our hearts. Uh, one of the best systems of all time. I, I miss you so much. Thank you all. Catch us next week for another edition of the TetraCast. Bye.